TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Well, thank you, Skip Denenberg. Yeah, that was that was for yesterday, a special version. But uh, as he said, right now, you know, there's going to be one more. And this is the one more. Good morning, everybody, for one last time. It is Sunday morning. Ray Dinger and Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. How you feeling, partner? Uh, so far, so good. <laughs> I woke up this morning feeling okay. okay uh, the walk over here was pretty painless. Um, and uh, came through the door in a good mood. Um, but I, I'm not kidding myself. I know the next three hours, uh, I mean, we're going to have our fun. But, um, I mean, it's going to be a little painful knowing this is the last one. Uh, I spent a lot of time writing my sort of farewell. Uh, so I hope I can able, I hope I'm able to get through that. But... Uh, I hope we have a lot of fun today. I intend to. You want to try? Good. Well, I think so. And Ray, I come into today's show with uh, without the usual outline. Uh, no list of topics. No times. Uh, not many sound bites. No interviews. Although, uh, let me digress. I thought yesterday's show with more than twenty of your friends, heroes, family members on the air was pretty special. Sure was. I, it was uh, hearing from. A lot of old friends, uh, and some of whom you had lined up, and some of whom who just called in, uh, was was really a lot of fun. Uh, it was really a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I, I I was shocked when all of a sudden the door opened and in comes Seth Joyner. I didn't even know. Yeah. You know, I mean, the guy that lives in Arizona for God's sake. I sakes. know. I had no idea he was coming back, but he came back and joined us, along with a lot of other people that have been very important to me over the years. You know, guys like Harold Carmichael and. John Bunning and Billy Bradley and, uh, you know, Fran Dunphy came by, which was great. And, you know, Brian Baldinger called in. And these were all guys that were really important people uh, in my life over the last 50 years. And to have them all check in and wish me well was was really, really, really nice. And having your family on the air was kind of sweet, too. Your yeah, daughter, ha- your son. Yeah, having my your grand- having my your grandson. My, my son and my daughter. Your and grandson's going to teach you Madden. That, that's the video I really want to see. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not sure you do. <laughs> uh, but there are a couple of things that I want to do, and one of them is uh, I want uh, I want Emmett and George. It might take both of them. I want Emmett and George to teach me Madden, and hopefully, maybe by the end of the season, I can be competitive. Oh, right I, now, I'm not. You, I think you may become world class at it because it actually really does mirror accurately football strategies. It's the as you know, John Madden said I would only get involved if this thing is legit. Oh no, John! John was very into it. He, John just didn't slap his name on it and walk away. I mean, every year John was going back and he was tweaking it and trying to make it as 
as close to the real thing as possible. I mean, that was just the way John did everything. That's why he was a great coach. That's why he became a great broadcaster. So I've never played Madden. Well, I can't say I've never played, but I don't play Madden because I fear becoming addicted to it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I've seen it happen with other people. They stay up till 4 in the morning, one more game, one more game. And I would worry about that, so I just stay away from it. I know... <laughs> I can see you three months from now with four days worth of stubble, bleary-eyed, three in the morning. Maria from the other room, like, Ray, come to bed. It's like, I will, I will, I will. I got the, I got the 75 Steelers on the run here. Okay. That's right. I got okay. Mel Blount exactly where I want him. <laughs> anyway, um, so – Yesterday was a hell of a send-off. Today's is going to be more low-key. I, I already know there are a few people who reached out this morning who do want to call in, um, who mean something to you. But today, mostly, Ray, it's you and me and producer Dan Wilson and an empty studio, uh, that amazing sheet cake. Yesterday, it looked like one of your legal pads is now... Well, I guess it's still out there. I thought it was just going to be a pile of crumbs, but I guess there's a few slices. No, it's still... Of- um, I'd say there's about a third of it left. And you know what? Right. It, it, I mean, it was a, first of all, it was a beautiful cake. I mean, it was it was actually a work of art. I mean, how they made this this cake look like a stack of my yellow legal tablets. <laughs> it was really pretty amazing. But the but the the best part about it was it was actually good. Yeah, it tasted good. I mean, very often when you see these huge sheet cakes that are there for an occasion, be it a birthday or a wedding or something, you know, sometimes they look good, but there's not much taste to them. I don't know where Cindy Webster got this cake. Uh, it- it's a place in, and I want to give him credit, it's a place I know in Hamilton, I'll try to find the name, I know Cindy posted something with it, I'll give him credit because they really deserve it, they did a great and it was, job. It, it. it was delicious and there is there is some left, so you know, maybe you and I could go out there one of these breaks and uh, there you go, share indulge. a slice. Our program director, Rod Lakin, said that his job was to bring it back from Hamilton, yep. and he was so, it was so perfect. Your signature on that thing looked like you had signed it. Well, my wife took a picture of my signature and uh, emailed it to Cindy, and Cindy brought it to the bakery, and they replicated my signature to the T. I mean, it was it was perfect. I mean, you could put that on a check and cash it. So Rod said that he was so nervous driving it back that he would, you know, stop short and the thing would fly through the air and whatever. So uh, he wanted to. We, apparently, he took really good care with that thing, and he did. I'm trying to see if I can find the name of the bakery. Here it is: Sweet Tea Bake Shop is the name of the bakery, and good job by them. So today, um, empty studio, as I said, and I, you know, we'll take a couple of calls. I I apologize to the people who we can't get to thousands of people I know who would love to say goodbye to you personally on the air. And I know Ray, you know how those people feel, but so many people I do now. Yeah, I do. I think I always, I think I always kind of knew, but, um, the, the response and the outpouring over the last three weeks, since I announced that I was retiring, uh, in terms of phone calls, letters, emails, cards, um, and they all found their way to me. They, they really did. Um, has been, has been just, has really been lovely and really very gratifying. So for all the folks that have reached out um, and expressed the feelings that you've expressed so far, I just want you to know that I appreciate it tremendously. It's been great. So I promise we will work in some calls today, but I know it's not going to be as many as people would like who want to get on the air. So I apologize for that. We will get some in, and I know we have a couple of, again, more of your friends who want to get in today, Ray. But 
So many people asked, hey, how come you guys don't do your own versions of Tell Us Your Story? And, Ray, we got three hours today. Mm. Uh, and I think our audience would love to hear it all. We know so many of the stories. Heck, you wrote a book, Finished Business, which covered so much of it. But I'd love to go through a lot of it. Most of these stories have been told on the air already, but they're, they're gems. And I think people would like to hear them one more time. So let's start at the beginning. And let's go back to Southwest Philly, that little boy at the end of the bar. Mm-hmm. What are your earliest memories of that? Uh, my earliest memories of it were my mom and dad and I. I was an only child. Uh, and we lived in a little apartment over top of a shoe store uh, that was right on Woodland Avenue, right along the the 11 trolley line. Um, and my grandfather owned a bar, which uh, called Ray's Tavern. And it was two blocks down the street, also on Woodland Avenue. And um, from the time, I mean, quite literally, from the time I was old enough to walk, um, I would, my, my mom or my dad would walk me down to my grandfather's bar, and I would, <laughs> and I would sit at the end of the bar. That was your daycare. And that, was, and that was really my daycare. That's a very good way of putting it. That was my daycare. My daycare was my grandfather's bar, Ray's Tavern. Uh, and I sat at the end of that bar, and, uh, and I grew up there. Uh, I grew up there. I grew up there with his buddies, all the guys from the neighborhood. Um, and I just sat there drinking my Cokes and listening to them talk sports. Uh, and there were two things that grew out of that. One of them was listening to my grandfather tell stories. Uh, very often people ask me, you know, who are your writing influences? Who taught you how to write? And I had to think about that. I, and I said, you know, nobody really taught me how to write. But my grandfather taught me how to tell a story. I mean, that, that, is, that is true. And the more I thought about it, the more true it became. That my grandfather would stand behind that bar for 12, 14 hours a day, uh, and he would just tell stories, and he would talk, and people would come in and they would listen to him, and he was spellbinding. I mean, I, I, in later life, I began referring to him as the Garrison Keeler of Woodland Avenue. I uh, mean, that's kind of what he was. That's good. And so what I really learned by sitting there listening to him was I learned the art of storytelling. I mean, I didn't even realize it at the time, but I'm absorbing all of this, and, I, and, I, and I'm, beginning to, I'm beginning to absorb the idea of how you tell a story. And he was a master. So that was number one. So through my grandfather and listening to my grandfather, I learned how to tell a story. The other part of it was seeing the reaction of the customers, these guys, these blue-collar guys, the guys from GE, the guys from Westinghouse, um, the guys that worked at Cosmo's Garage and, you know, and, and, and uh, did auto body work. I mean, all of these, I mean, pr- prototypical blue-collar guys that would gather in my grandfather's bar. And all they talked about. All they talked about was sports. They talked about the Phillies. They talked about the Eagles. The, the Flyers hadn't come to town yet. Nobody cared about the Ramblers. And basketball wasn't nearly that big. But it was always, in the summertime, it was the Phillies. In the fall, it was the Eagles. And they would talk about it endlessly. And w- what I saw was, and what I learned, was that this was important. This was important. These games... They weren't just games, okay? This was important because these guys, this was how they defined their lives. I mean, they didn't define themselves as guys that worked at GE or Westinghouse. I mean, that was the job that they had to earn the money to pay the mortgage. But who they were and how they felt about themselves on a day-to-day basis was based on whether the Phillies had won or whether the Eagles had won. 
Uh, that was that was it. And I I grew up with this awareness that it isn't it isn't just a pastime. It isn't just a game. I mean, it's a big big part of people's lives. And these games really matter in a very real life, real world kind of way. These games matter. What a privileged childhood you had. Um being able to have that as the central focus of that. So um, at what point did it move from you being a passive listener to being that little boy who started to precociously know all the numbers and the names and the kid who the guy down at the end of the bar would would bet the next beer on whether you could give the name of the backup fullback? By the time I was seven maybe even six, but I'll, I'll say safely seven, I had memorized the entire Eagles roster. Uh, I knew every player, and I knew every jersey number. Uh, that was because my grandparents and my parents went to every Eagles game. They were then playing at, they were then playing at Connie Mack Stadium. And they would bring home the program, uh, and I would sit and I would read the program all the time. I didn't have any kids' books. I didn't have any of the typical kids' books that other people had. I, what I had was I had the Eagles program, Eagles Giants <laughs> program. And the programs back in those days, there was no fancy art in them or anything. I mean, it was just a whole series of headshots with the players' pictures and their number and their name. And by the time I was seven years old, I knew them cold. And so what it became, it became a game uh, in my grandfather's bar that, um, and I wasn't aware of what was going on, obviously. I'm just a little kid. But they would they would start making bets on me if I could identify a guy would would call out a player's name, and I would have to give his jersey number. Uh, and so that was it. Just started as kind of a joke, and then as bets tend to go tend to go in bars, it became more serious, <laughs> and guys were actually betting real money, and uh, on whether I could tell you what number Skippy G and Canelli wore, right, or what number Toy Ledbetter. <laughs> all of these guys, I knew that stuff, uh, and they would they would put me up, they would stand me on a they would stand me on a chair, uh, and then these guys would start peppering me with players' names and and throwing real money down on the table as to whether I could get the number. And my grandfather swears to this day, uh, swears swore his whole life. Now, I don't know if it's, if he's he might just be making me feel good, but he contends that I never missed. He he contends that I never. I, nobody ever stumped me. And I don't know if that's literally true, but it could very well be. I mean, I did know them that well. It's like the Bronx tale where the, the, the little kid ends up down in the basement when they're rolling the dice and they're all betting on whether or not he's good luck. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're that, <laughs> you're, you're kind of that kid. Yeah. I mean, I, so, um, my, 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 I have to say my mother was never there when this was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want anybody to, th to think that there was a bad parenting going on here. Okay. My mom was, my mom was always back, back at the apartment. Uh, I was in, I was in the, I was in the care of my grandfather and I, I but yeah, this was this was the life in there, and it was um, it was exactly what you would imagine a Southwest Philly tap room to be in the 1950s. The guys were great, um, and they treated me royally. Uh, but I was I, I you know I was very involved in what was going on there because I was <laughs> I was winning or losing money for somebody. Okay, so um, do you remember your first game? Yes, uh, opener 1956. Eagles, Washington at Connie Mack Stadium on a Saturday night. I have no idea why they played it on a Saturday night, 
uh, in a driving, driving rainstorm. Uh, that's that is what I remember. Uh, it was the op- it was the it was the home opener, and it was pouring rain. Uh, and as all you know, as had always been a tradition there, my grandfather chartered a bus, and the bus pulled up to the to the, pulled up to on the sidewalk next to the bar. We all piled on, and off we went to Connie Mac Stadium in this driving rain. And where we parked the bus was several blocks from Connie Mac Stadium. Uh, and parked right next to us was the Washington Redskins band, that Redskins marching band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess because it was early in the season, they were traveling with the Redskins, so they came, and there was like three buses full of them. And in the full regalia with the headdresses and all that kind of stuff. And for, you know, for a little kid, for a nine-year-old kid, that's pretty awesome. You know, you get off the bus and here's the whole red skin band. And all these colors and the drums and the headsets and the feathers. And, well, of course, after they walked a block, you know, they looked pretty they look pretty wiped out by the rain. Uh, They, you know, those uniforms did not hold up well in the rain. But that's what I remember. The uh, and the Eagles won the game. Uh, I think it was thirteen to six. Uh, sort of sticks in my mind. Uh, very low scoring, uh, but the Eagles win on a late touchdown, and uh, that was it. That was. But I, I still remember walking into the stadium and seeing the field for the first time, uh, and seeing the green grass. Uh, and, and the baseball field was still down. I remember the infield was still down, so they played over that, and it was really muddy. But just the lights and the green grass, because back then, if you're watching football on TV, it was all black and white. Yep. So you walk in there and you see the field in full color for the first time, and you see the uniforms in full color for the first time, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. And it, it took. Let's uh, let's sneak in one call here. Vince in the Northeast wants to say hi. Hello, Vince. Hello, guys. How you doing? Good, Vince. How are you? Well, I'm. First, thankful to get on. I got a few things to say, Glenn, if you could bear with me. What a ride. 53 years. Final bell, Ray. Uh, I usually only call your show because you guys are the best. I, I read Finnish Business. It was it was awesome. Thank you. I, I learned about the Gary Maddox uh, quote that you made. Never knew the earth, you know, about the earth uh, covering uh, two-thirds and Gary Maddox the rest. Ray, I had lunch with you a couple of years ago. It was on my bucket list. And I'll never forget the hour and a half that we had together that I learned about so many things. I was nervous the night before. My wife said, just be yourself. <laughs> Pulled out one of your yellow pads. It was it was awesome. Something I'll never forget. I love the Ali story. You said it last week. The Ed Snyder one, just as good that you shared. That He wrote the article for you, basically. He did. Uh, if If I can do this. Real quick, Ray, you're such a class act. <clears throat> I remember my son, Roman Catholic High School, you did the uh, breakfast luncheon. He asked you about the Eagles. You couldn't give him the answer because somebody interrupted you. You went up the escalator, and about five minutes later, you came down, and you answered his question. Nobody else does that. <laughs> that is unbelievable. I'll never forget it. <clears throat> Tommy and me seen it a couple times. Awesome. Right, my wife, kids with me. She says that I like Ray Dinninger better than her, kiddingly. And you know what? And this is going to show maybe our age. But if you remember the commercial, E.F. Hunton, when he speaks. Oh, sure. Well, that's you, Ray. When you speak, 
everyone listens. It's been a, <laughs> Thank it's you, Vince. Been, I got. I, I remember. I remember the Roman Catholic event. I even remember where it was. We were. It was at the Franklin Plaza Hotel. That's where it was. And I, and I remember your son was at the bottom of the escalator, uh, handing out the pamphlets to the people that were coming in. And he asked me an Eagles question, and I got pulled away. Um, but I remembered I hadn't answered it, and so I came back and I answered it. It was. Uh, um, I, I didn't think it was anything extraordinary. I just hadn't answered the question, and so I went back and answered it. And, uh, I mean, that's kind of how I try to live my life. I mean, I've heard so many people say, oh, you go out of your way to be nice to people. No, I don't. No, I don't. I mean, that's just how I treat everybody. Uh, and, you know, it was, something, uh, it was something that my father and mother taught me from very early. Uh, it was just, you know, treat other people the way you would like to be treated yourself. That's all. It's just a simple matter of respect. And uh, that's all I ever tried to do. And I tried to be that way in my personal life, and I tried to be that in my professional life. And I don't know if I batted a 1,000, but I guess I batted pretty well. You had a good batting average. We'll come back. We'll talk about your family coming up. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. 94 W. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. IP. Smiling, right? Oh, love it. That's um, I was a huge, um, a huge Motown fan uh, back in the day, uh, and um, I, I liked all the groups, but I, I just loved Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Yeah. I, ju- I just thought they were, I thought they were in a class by themselves, really. And um, uh, I've told this story before, but I remember when I was at Temple, um, I was a student at Temple, and. Um, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles came to the Uptown Theater, which is right there on Broad Street, just a couple blocks north of campus. Uh, and, uh, oh, I was so excited. <laughs> Smokey Robinson and the Miracles are coming to the Uptown. Uh, and, uh, and I went up and I bought a ticket. And uh, the place was packed, uh, and, and it was great. It's one, of, it's one of the great concerts I've ever seen. And, you know, Smokey Robinson, anybody knows Smokey Robinson? He, he, when he sings, he hits notes 
that nobody else would even dare try. I mean, he had an incredible voice. Uh, and I remember when he sang, Oh, Baby, Baby, uh, when he hits the high note in Oh, Baby, Baby, um, women in the audience were screaming. It was, <laughs> it was, it was one of, it was, it was one, you talk about concerts where it's interactive, where the audience is part of the show. That's the way it was with Smokey that night at the Uptown. That was really, really one of the nights I'll always remember. All right, let's go back now. We were uh, we had Young Ray uh, at the at the stadium. I guess Connie Mack, but then it was Franklin Field. And I remember you telling me that your grandfather at the bar, or because of the bar, was at one point the single largest season ticket holder for the Philadelphia Eagles. Correct, uh, because all of the guys in the bar, well, they were all Eagles season ticket holders. Uh, but they wanted to all sit together at the games. So the way they would do this was my grandfather bought the tickets for everybody. So that way he could buy them in a block. And our block was in section double E. We were in the end zone, lower deck, right behind the end zone, opposite the administration building. Anybody that knows Franklin Field knows it's a horseshoe. So we were at the base of the horseshoe. Uh, And uh, so he had... Everybody in his bar bought their season tickets through my grandfather. Uh, so at one time, there he had 220 season tickets in his name at that time. He was the single biggest ticket holder uh, on the Eagles' books at that time. And Now, you got to remember, season tickets at that time cost next to nothing. I mean, it was a six-game – it was 12-game season, which meant you had six home games. Uh, and tickets were three bucks, so you could buy you could buy an Eagles season ticket for eighteen dollars. Um, but the, but the thing that I'll remember is um, these guys these were all working class guys that weren't making very much money. And eighteen dollars it sounds ridiculous to say, but eighteen dollars was a lot of money. Sure, and they would pay him on the installment plan. And he had like one of those uh, grammar school copy books. Underneath the bar. I thought this was going to be the first visit with the yellow legal. Pen. No, okay. afraid not. It was that would one, have been great. You know what the you know what the old co- grammar school yeah, yeah, yeah. copy book the black looks and white like? cover, the black and white yeah, cover. composition yep. it would say. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> he had one of those under the bar, and he had the names of everybody that had bought their tickets. Uh, and every week when they got paid, they would come in and they would give him a dollar, maybe two dollars, uh, and he would just check it off and he would uh, add it to the book and. It's like he a bookie, count. but not a bookie. Yeah, well, no, the bookie was he was at the other end of the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Maury, Maury, the bookie. Uh, he was always he was always by the he was always by the payphone. I later found out why that was. He was also the bookie. Why and did the, you not write this and, play? And the numbers right. God, what a play this would be. Yeah, I know. Okay, I so know. so at one point, because your grandfather had all these season tickets, you told me at one point when the Eagles sold. And they were looking for prospective buyers. Is this when they had the committee of 100 or whatever? They the called thing them was the called? 100 Brothers. The 100 Brothers. That they called your grandfather thinking, uh, this guy with 180 tickets, he's got to be a big-time financier. Right. Let's see if he wants to buy a piece of the Eagles. That was correct. Oh, Ray. They came to, they came to my grandfather. Because of, the, because of the fact that he had all these tickets, yeah. they figured, well, he must have a lot of money. Uh, and you could have so, owned the Eagles, Ray. And so when they were putting You could have been Julian Lurie. When they were putting the 100 Brothers when they're putting the Hundred Brothers partnership together to buy the team uh, from Lex Thompson, um, they approached my grandfather and said, do you want to buy a piece of the Eagles? And 
It was three three thousand bucks, and he said, "Nah, can't afford it." Uh, so he we had an opportunity to uh, our family had an opportunity to buy a piece of the Eagles, and uh, who knows who knows where that would have. Oh gone. my goodness! Okay, so your parents were huge fans. Um, let's talk a little bit about both of them. Uh, your father, um, I know, was uh, fought valiantly in World War II. Mm-hmm. Did the same thing that Chuck Bednarik did. Right. They, they, they were both, they both flew with the 8th Air Force. Yeah. Tell me just a little bit about your dad. Uh, my hero. Uh, best man I've ever met. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, he was uh, a navigator on the B-24 uh, and flew and somehow survived 30 missions. And, um, uh, Amazing, amazing strength, uh, tremendous character, uh, and incapable of telling a lie, uh, and um, just somebody who had universal respect. You know, he worked in a steel plant, and uh, on occasions when I would go to the steel plant to meet him, if he we were going out, he like sometimes if if I was if he was going to take me to a Phillies game that night. My mother, who my mother would drop me off at the steel plant, and my father would meet me, and uh, and I would hang out with him before we left for the ballpark. And just the way the other men in the plant uh, looked at my father and spoke to my father, uh, I, I could I could tell I could tell that uh, he was something special, uh, and he was to them, and he was to me. Uh, and uh, I later found out that he was a hell of a player. He was a he was a hell of an athlete. I didn't know that he played semi pro football. Uh, and uh, if the war hadn't come along, I mean, who knows? Uh, but the war came along. He signed up, uh, went off and, and fought in the war, came home, married my mother, had me, and then went to work. But um, he, was, he was really special. And when, you know, when I had to write that essay in class uh, when I was in the fifth grade, and the essay assignment was, uh, who is the person you most admire? It was easy for me. I mean, to me, there was, there was only one choice, and, and it was my father. And... Uh, and he was a tremendous example to me, and uh, uh, I really, uh, I, I really, really loved him. Uh, I, I think everybody, everybody thinks their father is the greatest, uh, but uh, I, I knew, I knew enough uh, just from observation, and it became even more apparent to me as I got older uh, what a what a really special man he was, and how lucky I was to have him as a father. And I know your mom was also a great fan. Um, my favorite story with your mom if we can go there, is 1968. Mm-hmm. Eagles having a horrible season, but the 2-12 and 12 there, they just finished a half a game above the Bills, otherwise would have got O.J. Simpson. Yeah, they, they, they dropped a third. They were actually drafting behind the Bills and the Falcons. Right. Um, and the last game in mm-hmm. December, which mm-hmm. is remembered as the snowball game. Right. Snowballs at Santa's. That was the day. It was remembered in your family for something else. Yes, it was. Well, this was at the height of the Joe Must Go the Joe Must Go campaign, uh, and it was the end of the Q-Herrick years. Uh, and uh, the, the, the Joe Q-Herrick years, unless you live through it, you can't really appreciate it. Just, just, just how awful it was, just how awful it was. I mean, we've all had seen, been through some Eagles, tough Eagles seasons. I mean, the, the Jerry Williams years, the, the Eddie Kayette years, <laughs> you know, the Mike McCormick years, uh, and I covered all those, and they were bad, but it was nothing like the Q-Herrick years. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was beyond hopeless. Uh, and the Philadelphia fans um, just wouldn't tolerate it anymore. And also on top of that, the owner, Jerry Wallman, was going bankrupt. 
So everything, everything that could possibly go wrong was going wrong and then some. And so on the final day of the season, uh, after the Eagles had inexplicably won two games to blow the first pick in the draft, you're, you're going to see the Eagles play the Minnesota Vikings' final home game. Uh, on, and it, was, it, it had snowed, and it was sleeting, and it was cold, and it was just miserable. But, of course, we go because that's what we do. I mean, you go to the Eagles games. And so we get off the bus, and we're walking to the stadium, and there was a guy on the corner uh, on 34th Street, and he was selling. I can still see it. He, uh, he's selling big buttons that said, Joe must go. <laughs> and so we're walking there, and all of a sudden we stop. We're getting ready to cross the street, but my mother's not crossing the street. My father and I are about to. And we look back, and oh, my God, she has her purse out. And she's getting ready to, to buy one of these buttons. And my father, who rarely raised his boys and rarely spoke. That was the, one of the interesting things about him. He was so different than his father, the bartender who could talk forever. My father hardly said five words in a day. But he looked at my mother and he said, Marie, you're not buying one of those buttons, are you? <laughs> and she's handing over the money to the guy. She says, I most certainly am. And then she takes it and then he says, well, you're not going to wear it into the stadium, are you? And she said, I most certainly am. And she pinned it to her coat, this big, I can still see it, Joe must go. And she wore that into the stadium proudly because she, look, my father wanted Joe to go as badly as my mother did, but he certainly wasn't going to wear a button about it. But my mother did, and she wore it the whole game. And then, of course, a week, a couple weeks later, you know, Q Herrick is fired, and my mother took that off her coat, and she pinned it to the sun visor in her car, and that's where it stayed. <laughs> This is a great story. Let's uh, let's get Walter and Brookhaven up here. Walter, you're on with Ray and Glenn. How are you, Walter? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi, Walter. Ray, it's an honor to talk to you. Thank you for calling in, man. Um, I just wanted to let you know that um, I was a uh, a paper boy for the Bulletin back in the day, and it was, uh, you know, I used to read your copy um, after delivering the paper, and um, it was uh, so much, it was so interesting to read you back then and to just watch your career grow. And I, uh, I'm from Delco and you're, you know, you were from Delco. I played uh, rough touch football and you played rough touch football and softball and all that. The same, same parallels with only I'm not as accomplished as you are. And, <laughs> don't, uh, don't bet on that. <laughs> no, 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 no. And uh, I just wanted to say that um, it's been an honor to um, to listen to you and watch you through the years, um, and just thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that you've done and just for being you. And um, just just thank you, Ray. I just you know from everybody in the, in the Delaware Valley and the whole region, just thank you for being you. It's just an honor to just to talk to you and give give you this. You know, thank you. Hey Walter, that I I really I really do, I really appreciate that. That's uh, that was that was really nice. I'm sure we probably crossed paths in the old Delco Rough Touch League a few times. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack. Now it is uh, it's our final show. 21 years we've been doing this thing, and today is the last one. But um, uh, we're having fun with it. Um, Sunday morning on 94 WIP. Six defensive backs. Jaworski gives off inside, running with Montgomery up the right side. Look, 30, 25, 40, 15, 10. 
Montgomery! Montgomery has scored on the right side of the Eagles and scored first. <laughs> All right, that's the 1980 NFC Championship game. Eagles beat the Dallas Cowboys, of course. And, uh, Ray, you and I have talked about that game many times. Just quickly give me give me your memory of that moment. Uh, memory of that moment was I thought the press box was going to collapse. Uh, it was I had been in that press box <laughs> countless times, countless times, uh, and I had never felt it shake. Uh, but it shook that night. And um, and I remember as soon as as soon as Montgomery broke through the hole, as soon as uh, as soon as he got in, as soon as he hit that seam, uh, and got into the and got into the secondary, you knew he was gone. Uh, and the roar that went up from that crowd uh, was amazing. Uh, and you actually felt, and it continued. I mean, it it happened at that moment, and then of course it continued through the whole run, and then the celebration in the end zone. Um, and the press box began to shake. Uh, and I had, I had been in that place a million times, and I had never felt that before. And I, re- I really, for a moment, I actually thought that my, the whole thing might come down. Well, we got a call this morning at the station from somebody who wanted to make sure he had the opportunity to wish you well, and that is Wilbert Montgomery. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Wilbert, what a wonderful surprise. I had no idea you were going to be calling in. Uh, hey, well, again, I mean, you know, you know, for something as as big as this, uh, man, I mean, for you know, fifty-three years of service, you know, you always want to know how do you say farewell to what you consider one of your superheroes, a Hall of Fame writer like yourself that has covered so many people in all the major sports there in Philly. How could I not call in and say I wish you farewell and good luck and you always done a tremendous job and been and being on point. So you know, former players are will love to say their how how proud they are of you and your your accomplishments. Well, Wilbert, I got to tell you, you were um, you were one of my favorite people. Um, a great player, everybody knows that. But but what a what a wonderful person you were, and um, I, I mean I, I you and I have talked over the years, uh, and uh, I have kidded you about what you were like in 1978. You were so shy when you came uh, to training camp. Uh, we all knew what a special player you were. We all knew you were going to be a really big contributor to this team, but you just trying to interview you was harder than trying to tackle you. I mean, it was, you, you were, I mean, if, if you got 10 words out of you, that was a lot. <laughs> uh, but it was, I mean, the thing that, as watching you grow and watching you mature, uh, as you really achieve stardom, uh, was, was really fun for all of us. And one of the things that I remember, and I'm sure you remember this too, is when you broke Steve Van Buren's record for most rushing yards in a season, and Steve Van Buren was a great player, Hall of Famer, all-timer, and you broke his Eagles record for rushing yards in a season. Steve Van Buren came to that game and came down to the locker room to offer his congratulations, and I'll never forget the look on your face, how impressed you were to meet him. Well, you, you know what, I, and, and you, you're right about that because, too, he, you know, Steve, you know, rest his soul, was legendary. And, you know, and to get a chance to 
to meet a, a guy that basically that impressed me, you know, of his accomplishment. And not only just what Steve had did and the other guys that played with with him, you know, you know I'm talking about the Tommy McDonald, you know, Chuck Van Derrick, you know, uh, uh, Pete, uh, Pete Redslap, you know, uh, those guys was like unbelievable guys just to to see come into the locker room, and 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 and, and being a former player now, you know, we were able to give them the respect that they so dearly needed at the time because they they changed the game for us. They made it better. No question. No question. And the thing I always remember about interviewing Steve, who was a great man in his own right and probably the most humble, probably the most humble superstar I ever met. I remember asking him about how he felt about his his record falling, about you breaking his record. Because let's face it, I mean, you, you take somebody out of the record book, you expect them to maybe feel a little something about it. And Steve, Steve said, no, listen, you know, what, Wilbert should have that record. He's better than I was. I mean, that was Steve's attitude on stuff. And I know that you guys actually developed a little bit of a friendship after you finally met him. Uh, and I always thought that it was one of the great parallels in Eagles history is that the two great running backs at the top of the rushing scales were two guys who were so similar because as humble as Steve was about his greatness, you were just the same way. I mean, you never bragged. You never... You never acted like a star. I mean, you were a total team guy, right to right all the way along. And in that way, you and Steve were very, very much alike. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and uh, you know, and I think in terms on, you know, your first your you, your number one job when you have that opportunity is, and you know, so how important it is when you became a writer is that hey, you want to carry the torch and you want to do your due diligence and then based upon you never create a scenery or create a problem because in two it's not for you it's for your teammates it's for the organization it's for the city that you're playing for and it's also for the shield that you plan for you know you plan under so those things are so important and you just want to give back that opportunity and take what it gives you well, I hope that uh, I'm, I, I'm. I hope I get to see you out in Canton. I'm guessing that you're probably going to go out there for Coach Vermeil's induction, so I'll, I'll be looking for you there. Oh, definitely going to be. You know, going to be there, and I'm looking forward to it. And and you know, hoping to see a whole lot of faces that I that I've seen along the way. You know, especially my years there in Philly, and, and, and you know, in Philadelphia, to see some of the great people that uh, you know, that I played with and. People that worked, I worked up under. It, it, it'll be, it'll be full, it, It'll be great. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, Wilbur, thank you so much for calling in and wishing Ray the best, and we uh, we certainly wish you the best as well. Well, thank you, Ray. Again, hey, congratulations on your service and uh, hey, good luck with your retirement. I'm telling you, man, it's like, hey, I hope you got a lot planned because in two all that free time. <laughs> All that free time, you got to do something with it. I'll figure it out, Will. I'll figure it okay. out. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll, Thank see you so in, I'll see you in Canton. There you go. So funny. I know he was one of your favorites. One of my favorites. I mean, tough. God, was he tough. I mean, 
pound for pound. Well, that game. Pound for pound is tough a player they ever saw. He came, that game, we just played, 1980s championship game, he came into that game hurt. Beat up. Beat up. At the, at the end, of, at the, well, I mean, he had been carrying the load for that team through 78, through 79, through 80. I, I mean, Dick, I love Dick, but Dick worked this guy to death. Uh, and Wilbert was not the biggest guy. And uh, teams knew that if they could take him out of the game, they had a better chance to win. And they beat on him ferociously. Uh, and he was just tough. But by the end of that 1980 season, and he had missed a couple games during that year. Uh, he, had a, he, had a, he had a bruised thigh. He had a, a bad knee. He had cracked ribs. You know, there were a couple games he just couldn't go. And, and Louis Giamona, to his credit, stepped in and actually played pretty good. But when he got to the championship game, look, you're playing the Cowboys championship game. You need Wilbert. Uh, and it was touch and go all week as to whether he was going to be able to play. We didn't know literally right up until game time whether he was going to be able to play. <laughs> but did he play? Yeah, 196 yards. Yeah, I think he played. Yeah, he played real well. All right, so let's uh, let's get back to the tell us your story, Ray Didinger. Okay. Um, you're the kid who loves football. You're also the kid who grows up going through the Catholic school system out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe you were in high school when you are told for the first time, you know what, kid? You can write. I remember you told me there was a teacher, maybe a father, who kind of impressed upon you that you could do this. Yeah, um, it was probably my English teacher. I mean, I had a, I had a, a fifth grade teacher, uh, Sister Claire Ursula, who I'm going to mention at the very end of the show, uh, was the first one to read my essay about my father. Oh, at, I, well, at, I, better, I better save more time at the end if we're going to go through that whole thing. Oh, no, it's... It, I, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't belabor it, but I, I sort of, that, that's sort of my lead. Let's put it that way. I'll use a newspaper term. That's my lead. Okay. But when I got to high school, um, I was really starting to think that maybe writing was something that I could do or should do. Uh, and uh, I, I had an English teacher named uh, Mr. Bell. I actually had two English teachers. I had Mr. Bell and Mr. Mooney, who were both really good English teachers. Uh, really tough, but really good. Uh, and they, um, they both... They both told me, you know, you know, you, I think you've got something here with this writing. And they, they actually made it harder on me because I, I think they pushed me harder than a lot of the other guys because they thought they saw something in my writing. Uh, and um, I didn't always like it, um, but I understood, I kind of understood what they were doing. And the more they pushed me and the more that I wrote, um, the more I was, I was convinced that this was probably for me. This was probably what I was meant to do. I wish I could have done it faster because uh, it took me forever to write. Um, but I, I, I recognized that what they were teaching me and what they were telling me was starting to manifest itself on the page. And I saw, I kind of really began at that point starting to think that, yeah, maybe, maybe I can do this. And I remember Mr. Mooney telling me that at a PTA meeting, uh, my father approached Mr. Mooney and said that, uh, you know, Ray is talking about maybe going to college and studying to become a writer. You're his English teacher. What do you think? And Mr. Mooney said to him, yeah, he should. And my father said, do you really think he can do this, make a living at this? And Mr. Mooney said, yeah, I think he can. And then from that point on, my father was pretty cool with it. Once he got Mr. Mooney's stamp of approval, then he felt like, okay, this is probably the right way to go. He's not wasting his time. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's talk to Liam in Pemberton. You're on with Ray Dinger and Glenn Mack now, Ray's final show. Hey, Liam. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Ray. How you guys doing? Hello, Liam. How are you? I'm good, Ray. I just wanted to call in and give you your flowers, man, on your last day. You know, I'm a I'm a guy who uh, 
takes uh, playoff losses like a girl breaking up with him. So I'm like, you know, hard to the core when it comes to uh, Philly sports. And you've uh, represented it better than anybody could have, especially over 53 years, man. I can't remember. I can't even think how many times I've seen you on, you know, Eagles pre and post game live, you know, breaking down the game and everything. And I just wanted to say thank you for everything that you've done for this city, man. It's awesome. Well, it's been um, it's been a pleasure uh, and it's been a privilege uh, to uh, to be in the position that I've been in for 53 years uh, to have the opportunity to do what I've been able to do for that long period of time and to do it in my hometown, to do it where I grew up, writing about and talking about the teams I followed as a kid. I mean, Liam, it's a blessing. It really is. I mean, I really, I really do feel like I've been an extremely lucky guy. I mean, and, and I've, I've enjoyed it. I have enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, but I, the, what come, what has come from the audience and, and the people and the, uh, listeners and the viewers, you know, the stuff that they've said about me and the things that the, the cards and the letters they've written me have been, um, have been just so wonderful that it's, it's really, it's really been a very, very nice way to say, to say so long. I, I really, I really feel good about this. And, uh, I really can't thank the people such as yourself enough for some of the wonderful things that you've said. It, it is much, much appreciated. You deserve it, Ray. And, you know, I hope you enjoy your retirement. You know, I'm sad to see you go, but I'm happy to see you moving into the next step in your life. Get good at Madden, and uh, when you uh, do your Hershey <laughs> visit, I hope to uh, see you there. Great, great. Please do come out. To, please come out to see Tommy and me. That's that's one of the things that I'm that that uh, you know. Everybody says, "Well, what are you going to be doing now?" Um, well, I mean, one of the things I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be keeping Tommy and me going. I mean, it's uh, we just had the run in uh, in Bucks County Playhouse in April that was really great. It was really successful, uh, and now in in August we're going to get to bring it to the Hershey Theater. Uh, in Hershey uh, for three performances. And I, I'm really excited about that because we are, in, in fact, bringing uh, the story of Tommy and me back to where it all began at, at Eagles training camp in 1957. So, you know, Tommy and me is, is going to keep me going for a while. And I think, uh, I think we've already got teams, we've already got theaters talking about bringing it there next year. So, you know, Tommy and me, I think, still has a lot of life in it. Good. Terrific. I've only seen it about 10 times and mm-hmm. look forward to seeing it another 10. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now. we got two more hours right here on 94 WIP. This is one of my favorite songs. I know. This song could make you cry even if it wasn't your I'll last day. I'll tell you. Day. It's, yeah, th- th- this one will rip your heart out. It's called Long, Long Time, and it's uh, it's really, really good. It's, and obviously it's Linda Ronstadt, who was uh, uh, a favorite of mine, shall we say, back in the day. Yeah. Um, he's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now. Uh, I'm assuming if you're listening, you know that today is Ray's last show. Ray and I have been doing this show for 21 years, um, and we're going through Ray's life's story kind of a tell us your story ray didinger edition actually before we get back to that and i want to try to do this without without us being self-serving about it um (laughs) because i fear that it that it could come across that way um but 
in in telling you how much it's been a pleasure and privilege to work with you, and and we're going to do that, you know, toward the end of the show. I know we're going to talk about that, but um, it's I always appreciated that we. I'm, I'll I'll always be proud of what you and I kind of developed here. Every show has its own personality, and every right. show on this station it should be, I'm sure, is and should be proud of what they do. But I, I will always look back fondly at the Tell Us Your Story segment that we did yep. uh, and what we're watching, mm-hmm. which, with your blessing, I'm going to continue. Uh, I, I love the Saturday college football previews with Ray where we play the band music really loud. <laughs> um, the stupid football bets just have been, you know, something that really caught on with people. Yeah, it did. Um Oh, the Scheib sports moment. Actually, I'm supposed to be doing here. <laughs> okay, well, I thought that that's in a what you were leading up to. Uh, I, I am now. I forgot about that. <laughs> we're going to do that in a second. Uh, and those features, and as people have said to us, and really what we always tried to do was just kind of the sense of two guys hanging around talking along with those features. And, you know, I mean, I've told people I'm staying at the station and I'm looking forward to it, and we should have. Um, a couple of announcements in the next week or two about what we're going to be doing with the show. Um, but I just, I'll tell you now, I know we're going to talk at the end, but it's just, I, I will always be proud of the, the shows that we put together over these years and, and, and what we put into them and, and how we tried to make them a little different. Me too. I, I really think that we, um, we sort of created something here that's different. Uh, and, um, and you know, to giving credit to you, I mean, most of those ideas that you just talked about were ideas that, that you came up with. I mean, Tell Us Your Story was your idea to do the long-form interviews. Hardly anybody does them anymore. You thought we should give it a try. It became enormously popular. Uh, what we're watching, our movie and TV uh, review section, which I thought, gee, people are listening for sports. They want to talk about Jalen Hurts. They aren't going to want to talk about Better Call Saul. Turned out they did. And uh, I, I I don't know about you. I get more feedback oh, on that than anything. Me too. Uh, me too. And when I do book signings, people coming through the line say, "Love your show. Miss it. I make, I listen to it every weekend." Uh, and you know what? I really love. I really love what we're watching. And so, it, I mean, all of those things that you kind of came up with really were good. I mean, stupid football bet was your idea, um, and I thought it and appropriately named. I thought it was stupid, <laughs> but it turns out that our listeners like stupid. And those bets over the course of the season, people would actually take they would actually track them. I was getting all kinds of emails. Oh, you know, you're way ahead on that Savraka punt thing. I mean, it was just it was like I can't believe people are actually keeping score, but they did. So, you know, we developed we. Our show is different than everybody else's, that's for sure. I mean, no question about that. Uh, and we kind of made it up as we went along. But we had fun with it, and it's nice knowing that I think our listeners had fun with it too. All right. So it is time for the Sav, the Sav. Now you got me thinking of Sav Rock. <laughs> uh, by the way, we will give away a $50 gift certificate today. Shibe Sports Best Caller of the Day, Dan Wilson. I hope you've been keeping track. Good. Dan Wilson has. Uh, Scheib Sports, absolutely. Uh, those people love you, man. They were here yesterday, and they they, they really love. Yeah, you. they actually came to the they actually yeah. came to the going away party yesterday, which was really nice of them. So, Ray, today is your retirement, but I got news. This is your only second fiddle on your own retirement day. 
How's that? Because it was, let me do the math. Shoot, now I forgot the number. Uh, let me do the four, carry the three. 33 years ago today, today, Ray, we heard this. Some 18 years ago, I left Dayton, Ohio with two very bad knees and a dream to become a Major League Baseball player. I thank God that dream came true. Well, Ray, sorry. <laughs> sort of overshadows me a little bit, huh? Wow. <laughs> Same day. Well, May, uh, May 29th, 1989. And I will tell you something you probably don't know. That when that happened, do you know who was on the air at WIP? Oh, I know you were. Yeah. Me. You've told, you've told me that. Me. Yeah. Going solo. Yeah. Okay. By the way, with no computer in the studio at the time and pre-cell phone, pre-any, not that you would have one, but no way to just pick up news automatically. I, I wasn't even in studio. I was I was I was doing a remote from Philadelphia Park Racetrack. Solo? Solo. Wow. Me and the producer. Uh and so we're doing this show from the racetrack. Um not my favorite place. Uh and I'm just going along and we're talking the Phillies were bad and we're talking about this and talking about that. And then all of a sudden the producer and I, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Dave Breitmeyer, slips me a piece of paper uh and says Mike Schmidt just retired, okay? On the fly, he slips me a piece of paper that the greatest player in the history of the franchise has just, out of a clear blue sky, announced his retirement. Right. I was going to say, for people who don't remember, there was no indication that it Nothing. was coming. He was playing poorly, but there was no hint, like, it's going to happen. He was playing poorly. The team was playing horribly. Uh, it was clearly a team going nowhere, uh, and... Unbeknownst to us, he was having these thoughts that you know, I no, this isn't for me. I'm I'm getting out. Um, but he hadn't he had never given a hint of that in any interviews or anything. It just came that day on Memorial Day, and there I am at the racetrack being handed this note. And my first reaction is, is this for real? You know, is this some kind of a crank? Somebody just call in something? And so we tried as best we could to check it out. And sure enough, we checked it out, and it turned out that it was true. And then all of a sudden, the whole course of the conversation took a totally different yeah, turn. Whatever you were talking about. Yeah, forget that. I that mean, the best it. player, the greatest player in Philly's history, and in my view, the greatest player and the greatest athlete in Philadelphia in the last half century, has just retired on my watch. Yeah. Wow, that's great. All right, so let's go back a little bit. 1964, Ray Dinger graduates from St. James as a Bulldog and enrolls at Temple University. Right. Everything is going well for you. Not only are you enjoying your freshman year of school, but the Phillies are dominating the National League. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Mm -hmm. Chico Ruiz. Yep. And then. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, it was – Unless you live through uh, September 1964, uh, it's hard for you to imagine exactly what that was like. For those of us that were Phillies fans uh, and sort of never thought that this team was ever going to win, 1964 was this magical year. Uh, It all came together. Uh, In June, 
on Father's Day, Jim Bunning, father of nine, pitches a perfect game. Uh, in July, the All-Star game, Johnny Callison, the star outfielder, hits a walk-off ninth-inning home run to win the game for the National League off the unhittable Dick Raditz. Richie Allen is running away with the Rookie of the Year award. The Phillies turn, I'll do Jody Mack here, not one, not two, but three triple plays in the course of the season. And we roll into September, and the Phillies are running away with the National League. And those of us that had been Phillies fans for a long time and were used to disappointment and thinking April, yeah, they're hot, but they're the Phillies. May, yeah, it looks good, but they are the Phillies. By the time you get through Bunning and Callison and everything else, by the time you got to September, you were all in. I mean, you fully believed, oh, my God, this is the year. This is, they're going to win the National League pennant. They're going to go to the World Series. It's going to happen. The World Series tickets were in the mail. Okay, and this is when I, this is when I begin my college career at Temple University. And I honestly think it may have been the day of my the day classes started, was the day Chikar Ruiz stole. <laughs> and I I went into a when the Phillies went into that twelve game losing streak, I went into a funk that ended with me being utterly catatonic. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't pay attention in class. I couldn't imagine doing homework or studying at night. I mean, all you wanted to do is you wanted to go home and turn on the radio and listen to the Phillies and just pray that they were going to win this game and break this spell. And they didn't, and they would lose. And you just kept plunging deeper and deeper and deeper into the abyss. Uh, and so that was it. I mean, right at the time that I'm making this big adjustment, this big jump of going from high school, by the way, an all-boys Catholic high school, to a college campus where there were actually were girls around, which was distract. <laughs> that was distracting enough, okay, that I'm now all of a sudden I'm sitting Boy, next to girls in class. called skirts. Yeah, and they were short in those days. Uh, and so, I mean, that was distracting enough, but to have the Phillies blowing the pennant, and going through that two-week agony, um, it just it just pushed me over the edge to the point where I, I, I literally couldn't function. I literally couldn't function. Uh, and by the time they blew the pennant uh, and got to October, I was gone. I, I was gone, and uh, I had fallen so far behind in school that there was no catching up. And so, oh, boy, that was, that was about as low a point in my life as I could. I don't know that I would have been able to survive it Anyway, and the adjustment to college was pretty was more than I thought it was going to be. Anyhow, but the combination of the two was was more than was more than this guy could tolerate. I'll so tell you how that did much. Uh, wait? Your grandfather was Big Ray. Your dad was Little Ray. My dad, yeah, and my, you were Young Ray, and I was Young Ray. That uh, was how that was that was how they. Yeah, Big Ray was my grandfather. Little Ray was not so little. Little Ray was six feet three and two hundred twenty pounds. Yeah, okay. So and and and, but, and so then then I was young Ray. How did Little Ray respond to this uh, this grade point average? Uh, little Ray was not happy. Uh, I I didn't indicate to my parents that I was in any kind of distress. They were used to me being really good in school. I was really good in grammar school. I was an honor student in high school. They figured everything's just fine now. I mean, they didn't realize what I was going through. They didn't realize that when I was in my bedroom at night, I wasn't doing homework. I, you know, I was listening to the Phillies, and 
and, and I just totally zoned out on, on academics. I, I mean, listen, the Phillies are blowing the pennant, okay? I mean, they're losing. They've lost like six, seven, eight in a row. Dennis Bennett has a sore arm. Gene Mock won't go. Who won't cares bring... about freshman composition? Yeah, who, I'm supposed to worry about Emily Bronte? Dennis Bennett has a sore arm, for God's sakes. And we've just lost six in a row. So, I mean, the, the, the academics, they didn't just go to the back burner. They went out of the kitchen altogether. So, yeah, at the end of that term, when, when the transcripts came out, I was a disaster. I can't even tell you what my grade point average was, but it wasn't good. Uh, and I didn't know back in, I didn't know that in those days, transcripts got mailed to the house. You know, I thought it was like high school. Where they They're going to hand it to you. I thought they handed hand you a report card, which I could have, like, hidden. Right. Well, no, there, there was a transcript that was sent to my house. So I came, I was out, and I came home one day, and I walked in, and my parents were just staring at me. And I thought, well, gee, what's this all about? And I looked at the table, and I said, uh-oh, that's my transcript. <laughs> <laughs> and my father picked it up and said, what is this? And I said the only thing I could think of at the time. I said, Dad... It's all Gene Mock's fault. That was that was my answer, which he didn't find acceptable at all. I imagine not. Hey, somebody wants to wish you well, Ray. Somebody who you covered over the years. We've had some uh, good basketball legends on the last few days. Speedy Morris wants to check in and say hi to you. Hey, Speedy. Hey, how you doing, pal? Good. I'm good. Speedy, how are you? What a what a delight! What a delight getting a chance to talk to you. Well, Ray, I'm sorry for not calling sooner. You've had so many great athletes. It's amazing. I've, I've, I've listened to many of them. And they well deserved every one of them. And Glenn, you and you and Renee, the show you've done for, for the last few years have been outstanding. Thank you. Very nice uh, of you to say. I just want to say to Ray, uh, Ray, I want to thank you for all you've done for me. I'll go back 30, 40 years when you did an interview for Channel 3. Yep. With the Roman team. Yep. And uh, it, was, it was pretty good. Uh, you've, been, you've been really too nice to me over the years. Well, yep. you, well, you had, I mean, you, it was easy, Speedy. I mean, you had a, for one thing, you had a great career uh, at every level. Um, uh, you were a terrific coach. And from a reporter's standpoint, you were a dream to deal with. I mean, you always had time for the press. You were always great. You were a wonderful storyteller. And your teams always won. I mean, guys, listen, Dick Girardi said the most fun he ever had was the years he was covering your LaSalle team because you were so great. You, know, you got to cover the L train. And he got to see a team that won all the time. I mean, you can't if you're a reporter, you can't do any better than that. Well, I've been blessed. There's no question about it. I've been blessed. But uh, we've had some bad years, too. And, and you've always been nice to me uh, during those years, too. So I just want to thank you for everything you've done. You're, you're an amazing guy. And uh, I look forward to well. Well, I look forward to seeing thank you, you, too, Speedy. Speedy. Thanks Appreciate a million. It. Thank you very much. There's a true Hall of Famer. I mean, there's a guy that, that won at every level. Uh, he, we won coaching men's basketball. He won coaching women's basketball. He won in high school, multiple high schools. He won in college. Um, just a great man. Uh, just a really, really great man who left a, a tremendous footprint in, in college basketball. So, Ray, one of the things that um, I don't know how much people know about you, but you were a pretty damned accomplished athlete. You were in high school. You were. Uh, we talked yesterday about you know you're a pitcher. You got to. You were in that. Championship game lost two to one to Dan Petrie. Not Dan Petrie. He pitched Jeff for the Petrie. Tigers. Jeff Petrie. Jeff Petrie. Dan Petrie made it as major league pitcher. Dan Petrie is only a great basketball player, but nonetheless, still pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you played rough touch football, which Fran Dunphy talked about a little bit yesterday with yeah. Fran and uh, was Papali part of that? Vince too, was Vince right? was in that league. Um, yeah, um, guy named Nails Nolan. 
Uh, I mean, it was. Oh, Nails Nolan had to be tough, man. Nails, Nails, Nails Nolan. First time we played against Nails Nolan, he had, he was playing with a cast on his forearm, a plaster cast on his forearm, and I thought, gee, this is really something. This guy's playing with a broken arm, and they said, no, no, Nails Nails just puts that on every week anyway. And he just, <laughs> his arm's not broken. He just puts a plaster cast on to beat people up. And you played professional softball, which mm-hmm. most people don't know such a thing ever existed. But there was a team in the 70s? Yes, 78-79 called the Philadelphia Athletics. Okay, that played in a national professional softball league. Correct. Um, and the you, you played along some pretty recognizable names. Very much so. And our, on our team, our team, our player manager was Johnny Callison, uh, who was obviously a legend with the Phillies and should have been the MVP in 1964. Uh, and our so John was in right field, and our center fielder was Billy White Shoes Johnson, uh, who everybody remembers as the great kick returner. Uh, and Billy was kind enough to call in yesterday. Uh, and so yeah, we had a good team. We we had a really good team, and in that league, you had some really really good players. You I know mean, what I remember though? What you told me there was a guy on the team who, because of his name, his jersey on the back instead of a number, he had a dollar sign. His name was Johnny Dollar, and he was a terrific player, but less than reliable in terms of showing up. Oh no, John was there all the time. Oh, he was. Okay. John John was there. John was there all the time. We got him. He was sort of a mid-season acquisition, uh, and just and just a legend. He was from Virginia. He was from Virginia Beach, uh, and was you know in in softball circles was a legendary player. Uh, and so, lo and behold, our general manager went out and signed him at mid-season, and uh, and he just walks in with you know with his with his little bag and his spikes uh, and his bat, uh, and I swear it was I swear to God it was like Roy Hobbs. He, he, I mean, he walked in the door and he was Roy Hobbs. It was unbelievable, and he he might he might have said five words all season. Yeah, like I remember the the day he showed up. I walked over and introduced myself, and he said hi, and that was it. Uh, and didn't he call you by the wrong name? No, that was that was our catcher, Larry uh, Larry Hutcherson, called me Dillinger. <laughs> I I played with, I played with Hutch for two years, and he never once got my name right. He called me Dillinger, but I I will say this: he he paid me a very nice compliment. I had a I had a really good fielding game against Chicago one time. Uh, and when we were in the locker room afterwards, he said to me, Dillinger, you can play that third base. Uh, I, I always, I, pretty effusive. That, that, was, that, that was about as effusive as Hutch would get. <laughs> Victor in Wilmington has a question he's always wanted to ask Ray. Oh, I can't wait for this. Well, it's no big deal, but I just want to say it's such an incredible honor to, to, to join you two on this momentous occasion and i've been listening uh, to you glenn since mac and mac days and i've been listening to ray since he paired up with uh, the great donut don mckee then I, I think it became like bagel mckee etc etc mm-hmm. so i'm just so grateful um to, to be able to speak with you too um i did write an email addressed to angelo uh but because said that that uh that paper cards might not reach uh ray i felt it felt so wrong that I wrote an email to the great Ray Dittinger, but I have a paper card in front of me on my kitchen table, but I addressed it to the station, but who knows if I'll ever find it to, to Ray. But, well, but Angelo has been really good. I mean, a lot of people have been sending emails to Angelo, 
And he's been forwarding them to me. I've gotten a bunch. So if you if yeah, you sent one to Angelo, it it will probably find its way. Okay, to I we got yeah. I got to hit a break. So tell me what the question is you've always wanted to ask. The, the question was is that as Eagle fans, we're always obsessed with the draft and how we and everything. But I just always want to ask Ray: Does he think there are some NFL franchises that are better than others at developing draft picks? You oh, know, like that's DK the question. Metcalf came here. Okay, yeah, that's, I mean, all right, that's fine. That's some fine. Franchises. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, Ray. Yeah, I'll, obviously. Yeah, I, I, obviously. And those are the teams that win. Um, I, I often think that um, one of the great misconceptions in pro football is that you draft, these, you draft college players and then they come in and they're the finished product, and they're not. I mean, you have to develop guys and work with guys and improve their skills at the pro level just the same as you do in high school and college. Keep working at them, keep making them better, uh, and those are the teams that ultimately win and those are the players that ultimately succeed. Works for me. There you go. Didn't know that they that, – when he said he's had a question he's always wanted to ask you, I'm thinking – all these years, all these stories about Ray, there was something that he was missing. Yeah. That's what it was. No, that was it. Okay. I hope I answered it. You answered it well. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack. Now we are going up until 1. This is Ray's final show. Uh, last professional day of a 53-year career. Oof. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Just to see her. Just to touch her. So, Ray, when you're, what year's this? What year's this song come out? Do we know? Okay. When you're, uh, you know, young Ray, the Playboy, driving around in your uh, uh, Gremlin or whatever oh. you were driving. <laughs> what? In, in those years, I was driving a Pontiac Firebird. There you go. Okay. Was this on uh, eight track cassette? Like, how are you listening to these? This uh, great. Yeah, it was on eight track. Yeah. There you go. I had one of those. <laughs> that was the worst format ever for music. They used to break all the time. I know, all the time. I had one in, and it, like it would be playing right. It go just to see here, and they go just, <laughs> and you'd pull it out, and the tape would be in there. You'd be unraveling the tape and get a pencil and try to get it back, and it would never work. It no, it never worked. Terrible. Okay, uh, Jim Jackson. Uh, who is uh, has a, had a terrific career his own doing the Flyers and the Phillies, joins us. I know he wants to wish you well. Hi, Jim. How are you, guys? How are you, Ray? Hello, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing great. But I, I was going to send you an email, but Glenn was uh, nice enough to invite me to call today, and I, I feel honored that uh, you guys let me take at least a little bit of your time on your last day. But, uh, Ray, uh, I, I sent out a tweet. I, don't, I know you're not big into <laughs> social media and all that, but, I meant it. I said, uh, you know, we all know how good you are and have been as a writer and as a broadcaster, but uh, pales in comparison to what a great human being you are. And uh, the fact that you're retiring saddens me to some degree because, and I'll tell you in a second why, but I also know you're moving on to another chapter of your life, and I, I certainly wanted to wish you well. So I'm, I'm glad that Glenn gave me that opportunity. I really appreciate that, Jim. I really appreciate you calling in. And, you know, I, as I said uh I've said before to some folks, you know, I, I think this is the right decision, but that doesn't mean it was an easy decision because I really yeah. have I really have loved what I've done all my all these years, and I feel I've really been blessed to be able to do it, um, and I'm looking forward to that next chapter, as you called it. But uh, it's not an it's not an easy it's it's not I can't say that I'm not sitting here feeling some pain right now because uh, in an hour in a little more than an hour I'm going to walk away from something I've done for 50 years. 
Well, what's great about it is the way this has been handled, and Glenn, I know you've had a lot to do with this. Uh, you've gotten a chance to feel, and, and I don't know if, if any of us really understand what we mean to the people we uh, write for, broadcast to, uh, but you've gotten a chance to understand that. I was listening yesterday, listening today, and I'm sure you've gotten all kinds of emails and letters and to, to know how much you're appreciated. And I want to just express some of that appreciation that I have. And I'll give you a quick story. I came down here in 1993, and I remember driving in. I'm listening on the radio. The Phillies were on their way to the World Series. The Eagles were off to a great start after being in the playoffs the year before. The, the Flyers even got off to a great start that year. And so I'm like, this is great. <laughs> I was listening to talk radio, and everything was great. And about two months later, the Phillies had lost in the World Series. The Eagles had lost six in a row after four and a start, and the, the Flyers' quick start mm-hmm. faded away. And then I heard, you know, the other side of it, the passion that goes the other way in this town, which I love because I'd rather be in a town where they care this much than a town where they don't. But I also saw how it can be tough in this town when you lose, but there are certain voices of reason that we've had in broadcast and writing. I think of the Bill Lyons, Rich Hoffmans, and you certainly are right at the top of that list. Uh, because you have a way of basically criticizing when it's deserved, but you also give praise when it's deserved, and you're just fair. And sometimes when we get all emotional about how the teams are are going, we forget about being fair. But you always were that. I've watched you on Eagles pre and post, and I've seen your work at NFL Films, which was tremendous, and I've obviously read your stuff, and it's just all been tremendous. So I wanted to congratulate you on a spectacular career, and just let you know that you mean something to – even fellow broadcasters in town. <laughs> well, I I appreciate that, Jim. And I, th- I think what you kind of touched on is really all I ever tried to be, which is just honest and fair uh, in my in my assessments. And, uh, you know, I got when I came in here the other day, I came in to do a final uh, sit in with Angelo in the morning show. Uh, and they gave me a they gave me a, a really nice uh, retirement card. Uh, which was very kind, and I opened it up and I was reading it, and all the members of the Morning Show cast had signed it. But you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, Jonesy, who was in studio that day, he signed it, and Jonesy's sign was, congratulations, Ray, congratulations on retirement. Now take Al with you. (laughs) (laughs) That's so Jonesy. (laughs) That was vintage Jonesy. I'm going to save that one. And we get mostly vintage Jonesy every day. Indeed. Hey, Jim, so, thanks for checking in, man. Thank right, well, you. Before, before I go, Glenn, I just wanted to say uh, your show, this particular show, you said 21 years now? Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate it because, uh, again, back to what I was talking about with, with the, the, the emotion that we all have in this town, and sometimes it gets out of control, but I could always count on this show. You guys really, really brought everything into perspective. So uh, I really enjoyed you two together for the last uh, two-plus decades. Thank, Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. I, I appreciate really it. appreciate that. All right. So Ray Dinger, Temple University. Yep. And uh, one of the things, uh, once you recovered from that first semester and, yep. and grew accustomed to seeing girls every day. Uh, <laughs> not yet? <laughs> uh, it took a little while. <laughs> okay. I, I, there was, I'll tell you what, just, that all-boys Catholic high school thing, man. You go yeah. through all those years and— you know, and, and then you go on a college campus and yeah, there are actually girls around. It's, it's weird. Well, whatever. People do what they do, and I understand yeah. the value of it, but I never it was never anything I wanted. I liked it, but I have to admit it took some getting used to. Okay, so you had the opportunity to go there. You were studying journalism, and you were surrounded by other students of, of real acclaim who have gone on in this town and made you, their marks as well. You bet. You bet. Um well, one of the things that was important about it was just getting the validation that, that being a writer, being a journalist, was, was a decent way to make a living. I, when I was at St. James, 
I've told this story before, but uh, when I was at St. James, they had on, on in the library they had a wall of books, uh, and the, and they were called Careers in, uh, and it was so you there were books there it was Careers in Accounting and Careers in Medicine and Careers in Law and. So you could go there, if you had some idea what you wanted to be, you could take one of these books and you would read it. And so I went, I went there uh, when I was a freshman, and I looked down the wall, and oh, okay, here's careers in journalism. Uh, and I took the book, and I opened it up to the back page to sign it out. I was the only person that had ever taken that book out. <laughs> the only one. And so I thought, wow, okay. So I read the book, and okay, seems to make sense to me. I do think this is what I want to do. So that's freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. Now I'm in my senior year, and I have now actually applied to several colleges to study journalism. I'm now pretty committed to this is what I think I want to do. So I go back to the, that wall, and I go back, and I'm thinking, let me read this book one more time. So I take down careers in journalism, and I open up the back page, I'm the only person that had taken it out. Yeah. In three more years, still nobody had taken it out. And I have to tell you, that made, I'm scratching my head saying, wait a minute, is there something wrong with me? You mean nobody else wants to do this? But going to Temple and going to a real journalism school, and I remember walking into class that first day and seeing a room full of people that had actually signed up to study journalism, it was like, <sighs> It's like a big sigh of relief. Like, okay, there are some other people that want to do this. It was really, it was really kind of inspiring and validating to me. And so you went to school with Merrill. Merrill was ahead of you. Merrill was right. a couple years ahead of me, as was Phil Jasner. And Russell Peltz, who, Russell, by the way, texted me to say uh, hi to you and congratulations. Okay, Russell Peltz was a classmate. Mm -hmm. Russell Peltz was a classmate. Uh, we were in the same class. We came in together. And Russell, of course, uh, has gone on to become... A, a Hall of Fame boxing player. Yeah, a lot of great names. A lot of great names. And Dickie Weiss. And Dickie Weiss. Uh, former producer of yours, Brett Holcomb, wants to uh, wish you the the best. Brett? Glenn Ray, how are you guys doing? Hello, Brett. How are you? I, I'm doing good. I'm doing good down here in Florida. It's a little hot, but I'm I'm bearing with it right now. Mm -hmm. But I just want – Glenn knows this, and I've told him so many times – I hate using this term because it was kind of negative for the Eagles, but you two are the gold standard <laughs> for sports talk radio. Well, there you go, Ray. Quarterback <laughs> factory, too. I'll, 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 ta I'll take it. I'll take it. When I got down here and I started programming the station in Gainesville, I told them, all my hosts, you need to listen to this show. Stay away from the hot takes. This is what sports talk radio is all about. And every one of them came back and go, wow. Like, they just didn't, under, they didn't understand it until they listened to both of you. So, I mean, I, hats off to both of you. I'm going to miss listening to you guys all the way down here while I'm, you know, doing, working on my yard or at the gym. Uh, but this, this show has been amazing. And 20 years ago when I got to produce, I, I, funny story, we were down at the uh, airport auto mall. And I got to do the remote with you guys, and I was late. And the entire way down, I knew what Glenn was going to say to me because I worked with Glenn so many times. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, my gosh, Ray's going to tear my head off. Absolutely. And I got down there. You said nothing about that. And afterwards, you were so gracious. You're, thanks for doing this. And, blah, and 
And that was it. And then after that, anytime I was in the press box, you'd always come up and talk to me and see how, how I was doing. And I, it just meant the world to me. Well, I, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed working with you. Um, those were really fun times, uh, and uh, I'm delighted that your career has taken off the way it has, uh, and that you're down there and you've been there for a long time and you've done great work. I'm, it's really great. I mean, Glenn and I have talked a lot because a lot of a lot of young guys have come through here as producers and kind of gotten their start working here, uh, and have gone on and done great things. Uh, and you're certainly one of them. So uh, um, I've been following your career just like you've been following ours. Well, I, I definitely appreciate that. And, you know, Saturday and Sunday is not going to be the same without you here. And, you know, like I said, I just needed to call in and say thank you uh, for kind of taking me under your wing. And, and, you know, when I had questions, you were always there to, to answer that. And it was just great. And, you know, I consider you a friend, too. And I, I, well, same you know, here. I will cherish that. And if you ever get down here to Florida, definitely come and see me and, you know, well, hang on. I know you're not going to have a beer with yeah, me. Yeah, beer's out, Brett. That. Right, that means a lot. <laughs> I may, I may you, just Brett. do that. I, may I appreciate just do it, that. pal. Gainesville is one of my favorite places. All right, let's hit a break. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. Ray, we got about an hour and a half to go, pal. Okay. Here on 94 WIP. I tell you, I've really enjoyed the fact with your retirement that I get to hear a lot of songs that I, I don't listen to as often as I wish I did. Yeah. I love Smokey Robinson. I love Linda Ronstadt. We played the band yesterday. I love the band. Yep. Um, your music's kind of my music, uh, although it's not in my current rotation. So, but it's great. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, the Linda Ronstadt songbook is, um, uh, her collection is Really, really good. I mean, she was great. And the thing I really admired about her was that um, that she she was brave. I mean, she tried a lot of different things. I mean, she could have just stayed in the folk rock thing in the 70s into the 80s and ridden that forever. You know, but she went and she made Latin albums because that was her native language. And she, um, you know, and she did big band stuff uh, with Nelson Riddle. Uh, and she went on and did the... Uh, the the triple album where she worked with uh, Emily, Emmy Lou Harris and Dolly Parton. And then she went to Broadway and did Pirates of Penzance. I mean, yeah, she yeah, really, yeah. I mean, she really, she really stretched her talent in ways that I thought was, was really brave. And there wasn't a single genre that she went into that she wasn't really, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's, um, let's, uh, hold on. I'm trying to respond to somebody who's trying, trying to reach you. Uh, you graduate from Temple University, nineteen sixty-nine. Graduated in sixty-eight. Sixty-eight. Okay, tumultuous times, Ray Dinger. Sure was. Um, sure was. I mean, all of that stuff was going down. Um, uh, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, um, uh, all happened. I mean, literally, um, the the Bobby Kennedy assassination happened while we were in the middle of final exams. I mean, that was that was going down right at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you get a job at the Delco Times, right? Right. Okay. Uh, and how long until you move to the Bulletin? Uh, one, almost exactly one year. Uh, I got hired out of, uh, I graduated from Temple. Uh, I, <laughs> I graduated from Temple on a Friday, and I started work at the Philadelphia, da- at the, uh, 
Delaware County Daily Times on Monday. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I jumped right into it. Yeah. Uh, they they didn't have an opening in their sports department, which right. is what I wanted. They're covering George Wallace. Yeah. They they asked. They said we have one opening and it's in news. Uh, and so I said I'll take it. You know what though? I think that's really good for you. I covered news for thirteen years. Uh, yeah, thirteen years before I covered sports. Right. And I I mean, you learn how to cover a story. It taught me how to be a reporter. It really it turned out to be the best thing. I mean, I, I went there. I thought, oh, geez. I'm going to be covering media courthouse. I'm going to be covering bake sales. I'm going to be covering transit strikes. You know, I didn't really want to do that, but it was a really good year of learning how to be a reporter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I finished that one year, um, didn't make much money, (laughs) but I finished that one year a lot smarter about the business of gathering news. And, you know, I often talk about when I, and the editor who hired me, who I just went to his memorial service last month, a great man named Arthur May, who gave me the opportunity. He's the one that brought me into the business. And I remember... He said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you into the news department, you know, and uh, we'll let you do okay, a couple of sports stories now and then, but you're really going to be a news reporter. I said, okay. And he said, all right, now let's talk about what we're going to pay you. Uh, and he said, we, we Do you remember what you made? Oh, I remember very well. Uh, let me start because I went to work in 1977 right. for Coco Today, which later became Florida Today, which was a Gannett paper down in Brevard County, Florida. And I got out of college, and I made 170 bucks a, a week a year. 170 bucks a week, and they gave me a raise after three months to 180. And I thought, oh, now my problems are solved. Exactly. Well, Arthur, Arthur said to me, he said we could start you at 100 dollars and 25 cents a week. Uh, that's that quarter. A hundred dollars, and I'll never forget a hundred dollars. The twenty-five cents. Says, well, thank God for the twenty-five cents. Pay a parking meter. I will. I will tell you why the twenty-five cents was significant. Because I went home that <laughs> night, and I, I'm sitting down at the dinner table, and I tell my father, "Dad, I got the job." He said, "Oh, that's great." So, what's the first question a father asks? How much are you making? How much son? are you making? Exactly. Oh, that's great. How much are you making? I'm thinking, oh God. I'm really going to tell him I'm making $100.25. So I said, and I could never lie to my father. I could never lie to my father. So you know what I said? I know what you said. I said, uh, I'm making 100 and a quarter. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and he thought, oh, $125. But at least it sounded better. But, it, but the fact that that quarter allowed me not to lie to him. Right. That's, that's a great story. All right. We are about, Ray, to talk. We just got a call from Lithuania, Vilnius, Lithuania. Uh, Congressman Brendan Boyle is there representing as part of the U.S. delegation to the NATO summit. And uh, I know he listens to the show because I talked to him, and I know he wanted to wish you well from Lithuania. Wow. Guys, I hope you can hear me okay. We hear you loud and clear. Uh, Wonderful. I I feel like I'm calling from Northeast Philly. Uh, Just (laughs) wanted to say, Ray, I'm really going to miss you. Um, A big part of my weekend is listening to you guys on on Saturday and Sunday morning and then watching you after Eagles games. And it's just not going to be the same without you. And I I know I speak for a lot of people when I say that. Well, thanks. Thank you so much. I know we've had the opportunity to to meet a few times at a few of uh, Glenn's charity events. And it's it's always been a pleasure. And you know, the fact that I know how busy you are and I know uh, how jam-packed your schedule is, the fact that you you uh, you carved out the time to uh, listen to our weekend shows. I I always really uh, I got a real kick out of that. I appreciate that. Yeah, and, and you know what I really appreciate the most is the rapport, the natural rapport that you two have with one another. Um, I mean, it's really just like listening to to two old friends. Uh, so I. I I want to say congratulations, but it's also a, a bittersweet uh, occasion because 
um, you know, I, I, it'll be just really strange without, without listening to the both of you. Obviously, I know, you know, Glenn is, is still carrying on. Right. But um, just, just won't be the same. Well, I'm going to miss it, too. Um, and I'm going to miss the work. Uh, and I'm really going to miss the partnership that I have with this guy because it, uh, 21 years is a long time to do anything, but it's a particularly long time in radio. But it's been so easy working with Glenn. And, and what you just said, Brendan, is just uh, what you said is exactly right. I mean, that's how it sounded to people, that it was just two good friends sitting talking. But that's really what it was. I mean, we really have that kind of relationship. And it's cool that, you know, we're going to continue being friends and we'll get together and do all that kind of stuff. But the fact that we're not going to be doing it on the radio and all, I mean, yeah, I'm feeling a sense of loss, but I'm really, I'm really grateful that you listened, and I'm particularly grateful that you took time out to place this call. By the way, I, I do have some breaking news while I've been here at this NATO summit the last couple of days. I, I have been able to confirm what I've always suspected. Putin is a Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't surprise me at all. That, that would go hand in hand. Congressman, thank you so much for taking the time from of over course. there. And uh, uh, before you come back, see what you can get done about creating world peace, would you? You know that uh, the Phillies might fix their bullpen before I'm able yeah. to uh, before I'm able to achieve that. Yeah, so. but we appreciate right, you thank trying. You thank you so much. Thanks, Congressman. Sure. All right, all right. Take be care. well. Oh, that's nice. What a nice fellow. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, I've I've met him at a couple of your events. Yeah, usually at the uh, country in Bridport. Yeah, yeah, and he's really he's really a I think good. We're guy. in his district. He's yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, Ray, Dr. David Gelt from Cooper Bone and Joint. This is when we usually talk to them and talk about injuries. And Doc, the injury is. I have a broken heart, Doc, because I'm yeah. losing the opportunity to hang around with uh, one of my best friends every weekend. Yeah, it's, in, it's really great. And just uh, kudos, a great uh, tribute yesterday. That was really amazing. Um, just want to call in and just say it's, you know, it's been a treat for all these years on Saturdays to talk to you guys about the sports injuries. It's always fun. But the best part is really just going off on the tangents and <laughs> talking about movies and other things. So uh, I really can appreciate that. And I miss that. Yeah, I know. Um, and and um, I we look forward to it, too. I mean, we really did because, yeah, we I mean, we covered the injuries and we covered the hamstrings and the, <laughs> uh, you know, and the and the rotator cuffs and all that stuff. We did what we had to do, but we managed to we, we always found time to have a little fun with it, which I which I always I always enjoyed. And you were a good sport, doctor. You really were a good sport. You played along with us and uh, it actually turned into a real fun segment. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. And I know Glenn's always asked you to, you know, that. He's, he would be willing to give you a three months of free streaming. Um, so as a retirement gift, I can I can double that if you want. So you, you have it, it's still there, Ray. For God's sakes, so you I'll, know. I'll add that to I'll add that to the gift. Right. So, so we'll make it six months. What else do you have you to do, it. Ray? Absolutely. Exactly. There's so no the, excuse now. This is my parting gift. Sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I I appreciate that, doctor, but I'll probably pass. But thank you very much. <laughs> All right, doc. Okay. Doc, you watching right, anything good these then. days? By the way. Uh, actually, I started watching uh, Stanley Tucci's coming. He came back yeah. on CNN with the uh, Italy. Uh, yeah, I'm watching tour, that. So I started watching that. Oh, is, so. isn't that great? Isn't yeah. that great? I, I that 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 is that is like my favorite show now. It is. I, yeah. I always make time to see that on Sunday night. Although I don't know, uh, Doc said he's starting to watch season two. Have you started watching season two? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tucci? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with it is. I think that he two of the early episodes in season two. I don't like the food at all. I think when yeah. he goes to Piedmont, and the food is like, ugh, I'm not eating that stuff. Right. 
Uh, yeah, I haven't seen. That. I just saw the Venice episode. Yeah, so that I one was pretty. Yeah, good. the Venice one was great. Yeah. Hey, Doc, a pleasure. We'll talk. I'll I'll continue right. to talk to you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that, and good luck. All right. Thank um, you, Doctor. Uh, thank you very Bye-bye. much. Appreciate that. The last that. one I watched was uh, surprisingly said one of the best areas for Italian food is London, which is where he lives. You see the London one yet? No. Oh, it's pretty good. The food in it's like I want to go to London just to eat Italian food. Really? Yeah. There's a restaurant there called Twenty Mamas which is there are 20 women who have moved from Italy to London who like collectively share the chefing responsibilities, and they're from all different parts of Italy, so the menu changes all the time. Oh, God, I just want to go there and eat. See, now you're retired. Mm-hmm. See, Ray, this is what you should do with your life. Oh, I intend to travel. I intend, I intend to travel. I mean, Maria and I have talked about that, that a lot. That's the move. Yeah, and we're, and we're going to do a lot of it. I mean, I've, you know, I've traveled— I've traveled a ton in 50 years. Yeah, you have traveled a lot. Uh, I mean, professionally uh, and also you and your wife have taken some great trips. Yeah, but I mean, when I think about traveling, most of the traveling I've done, you know, I'm I'm flying to, you know, I'm flying to Detroit to go to the Silver Dome, or I'm tra- flying to Green Bay to right. uh, to go to Lambeau, or Kansas City to go to Arrowhead. I mean, I, I kind of want to get on a plane and go somewhere and just uh, see beautiful scenery, mm-hmm. you know, see some history. And eat good food. I mean, I, I kind of want to do the kind of travel that other people have to do. Where I haven't done nearly enough of that. Where is the one place in your life to which you have never traveled that you most want to go? <laughs> Maria and I were just looking at a uh, uh, at a travel brochure th- uh, a week ago. Yeah, don't and, say where you're going. I, I don't think I don't think your wife. Oh wants no, you I'm to not going to say okay. when we're doing it. But a pl- but a place we both we're both looking at and said, yeah, I want to go there. The Galapagos Islands. Ah, the fanatic. Yeah, your friend. Yeah, your buddy from yesterday. Yeah. I mean, just just to see something that seems so lost in time. Yeah, I think would be really, really good. That'd so be, I, one of these days we're going to do that. That'd be pretty nice. Good for you. Uh, let's take a break, and uh, we'll come back. We got an hour to go, and uh, I want to continue to tell us your story, Ray Dinger, and maybe go over some of the things, uh, some of your favorite things you've seen uh, as a reporter. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now. Oh, I'm starting to feel it. 94 WIP. Mr. President, you asked to see me. I know you're busy. What do you need, sir? Sir, I want to give you a word of warning. Sir, I don't know what you heard, but whatever it is, Jefferson started it. Thomas Jefferson resigned this morning. You're kidding. I need a favor. Whatever you say, sir, Jefferson will pay for this behavior. Talk less. I'll use the press. I'll write under a pseudonym. You'll see what I can do to him. I need you to draft an address. (laughs) I'm trying to get to the chorus, and it's like taking forever to do it. The song is One Last Time. Right. From Hamilton. Your wife called with that special request. I know she loves Hamilton. I don't know if you love it as much, but I know that she does. My wife adores Hamilton. My My wife has seen Hamilton... Five times, yeah, uh, including in London. Yes, uh, and she went. She she went up to New York um, to actually. She would. She so wanted to see the original cast, and when it came out that Lin Manuel Miranda uh, and uh, uh, Leslie Odom uh, were leaving the cast, uh, she wanted to see the play with with those guys in it. So, you know, we we talked about going. You couldn't get tickets. It was impossible. But a single ticket would occasionally come up. 
And so a single ticket came up. She saw it. I said, you go. You, know, you, you, you really want to do this. You go. So she didn't tell me how much it cost. <laughs> but, uh, but she got the ticket. She went to New York. She saw it. And she said it was a life-changing experience. And so, yeah, I, and when I went to see it, I, even though it was with not the original cast, but it was, it's brilliant. I mean, it is absolutely oh, brilliant it. theater. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, hey, you remember the time at my house? I think it was December, before Christmas. Oh, I don't know how many years ago. Five, seven years ago. Yeah, probably. Dinner, you and your wife, Big Daddy Graham and Deb. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Big Daddy and Deb had invited us to their house for dinner over in Jersey, and we had a great time. And then so I said, you know, my wife and I had them in our house, and we had uh, like just this beautiful roast beef that my wife had made, mm-hmm. right? Oh, it was lovely. And she made a squash soup. Mm-hmm. What well, was delicious. Yeah, you thought so. I did. Yeah. Do you remember what Eddie said? <laughs> squash soup? I don't eat squash soup. Yeah. <laughs> I just want meat and bread. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and she made, I don't remember what the vegetable was, but some, you know, beautiful braised vegetable, like fall something. Right, right. I don't eat anything green. <laughs> and so I guess I think we had served bread with the meal, but he he went into the kitchen and took the rest of the loaf of bread and ate like the entire loaf of bread and a bunch of meat. And a, and a big pile of meat. Right. <laughs> and ketchup. Yep. Um, you got a note. I got a note from his wife. To you, today is is Big Daddy's birthday. I didn't know that, and we miss him so. I loved him. I know you loved him, and I, she. I I, I I adored him. Yeah. I, I thought he was. I thought he was the funniest guy, uh, and you know he became a big part of both of our lives um, because he involved us in his comedy act. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he and Joe put together the two funny Philly guys, which, which is, is a great show. Great, uh, and he came up with the idea of you know we need to get an MC. We need MCs. And so we... It was a way to sell tickets. So, yeah. yeah free plugs on the air. And so, you know, he, he went to the people here at WIP and, and talked, a, talked a bunch of us into being part of the comedy act. And so you did it. I did it. Yeah. Angelo did it. Yeah. Rhea did it. Al did it. Yeah. Ike, Ike did it. Yeah. Uh, we all got our turns at it. And I'll tell you something. It, was, it is so terrifying to walk out on that stage in front of an audience with a, with just that microphone just out on the stage, and you walk out there and you feel like you're naked. Well, and part of it is you don't see the audience. Right. It's dark. So um, having done it as you did, and I, and I had material, right? Mm-hmm. And so you tell your first joke, and it's kind of, as you're telling a joke, like you'll hear somebody cough, you'll hear somebody stir, you know they're out there, but you don't see them. Right. And as you approach the punchline, you just think like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And then they laugh. I know. Great feeling. And I remember the first time, I remember the first, I so remember this. The first time I did it, um, uh, I, I told the joke. And I don't, see, you're braver than I am. You tell multiple jokes. I only tell uh, to one. To me, three and out. Yeah, I tell one. Uh, and I told the one joke, and it got a big laugh. Uh, and you're right. There's that sense of, oh, my God, they actually laughed. And, and that, that, Wonderful sound oh. comes out of the darkness. Oh, oh yeah, and it's just so wonderful. It's intoxicating. And you and you just walk off the stage, and Big Daddy was waiting for me in the wings, and he gave me a big hug, and he said, "Tell me, 
Tell me that wasn't a rush. (laughs) And I finally, I kind of understood what really drives stand-up comics. Now, I would never do more. I would never do it. I would never do more than one joke. But that moment, it really is worth it. Yeah, and again, I did a couple, but, uh, you know, I never bombed. I could only imagine bombing. That would be, that would be so painful and uncomfortable i know anyway today is big daddy's birthday we miss him we love him and deb we love you as well so and ava and keely and all of them so even bill matz every Mm -hmm. one of them let me sneak in a call here bob in collegeville has been waiting to talk hello bob hey guys good morning good morning hey Um, bob thanks for taking my call it would have been a big regret if i didn't get to say goodbye to the uh to the great great visitor today thank you bob Um, appreciate it I want to give you the best compliment I can think of, you know. Uh, the fans here are tough on the players and the teams, but it, you don't hear it on the radio. But they're also tough on uh, some of the media people. I've heard media guys being called all kinds of names. I, I won't even mention some of the names um, for, you know, not knowing what they're, what they're talking about or trying to stir up the pot for no reason or having a vendetta against this guy or that guy to, to go off on them. But you're right. People don't always agree with you, but I've never once heard anybody say anything negative about you, Ray Bittinger. And in this city, I think that's the biggest compliment I can give you. You are so loved here. Uh, The only thing I can compare it to is in terms of the love people have for you. You are like the Brian Dawkins of the media. (laughs) Wow. uh, I can't imagine imagine higher praise than that. I mean – Doc is probably the most beloved athlete in, in of the last decade for sure, uh, and uh, if I'm if I'm the Brian Dawkins of the media, I'll take that. Mm. I'll take that any day of the yeah, week. Yeah, you are. You are. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the things you've covered. I mean, we're going through the Ray Dinger. Um, one of the things I think people appreciate about you. Listen, you're Mr. Football. We're going to get to football. Um, but you were always a hockey guy, and uh, before people were hockey guys, you you grew up going to the Firebirds and the Ramblers, Ramblers. And, okay, and and all that, and liked it. When the Flyers came to town, you told me the story about how <laughs> you and your friend went down to the introduction, w- worried that you wouldn't get in, and there were how many people there? Twenty four people. Right. <laughs> Meet the Flyers day. Twenty four people show. <laughs> It was the day before the, it was the day before the home opener, day before they they actually launched the franchise with a game against the Penguins. They had an open practice at the brand new Spectrum, and Frank Bertucci, a fellow journalism student, and I, we cut our afternoon classes at Temple. We cut class. All right. And, and went down and and drove down there, and the whole drive down, uh, we're talking about. I wonder how many people are going. Wonder people are going to be there. You know, you know, seven thousand, eight thousand. Nah, it'll be more than that. <laughs> we get down there, twenty four people. Okay. So, uh, and you went to that opening game, right? Went to the opening Two to game. One loss, next, as I next night. No, no, no. One nothing win. A one nothing win. Bill, Excuse Billy, me. Billy Sutherland. Billy Sutherland scored the goal. Okay. Flyers beat the Penguins one nothing. Uh, before they announced seven thousand people. I'm not even sure it was that many. Okay. And then they get good, and then they win. And we've talked about it a little bit, but I know how much it meant to you. And one of the great stories that you tell that I love is you covered the. The, the Stanley Cup. We, we talked about this yesterday uh, when, when we were on with Bernie. You and Bernie and I are three people who were at that Stanley Cup final game in Buffalo. Right. 
God, can you imagine you and I maybe walked by each other all those years ago and didn't know? Probably did. Right? Probably the odd one that I was big. out getting like popcorn at the concession stand and whatever. It's like I walked by this guy. Holy cow. What a thing. Might have been standing next to each other in the men's room. Might have been. Anyway, <laughs> that's, there's there's something to remember. <laughs> anyway, thank you for that. Anyway, I love the story you tell about the parade and what it and what the flyers back then ended up meaning in a city that you grew up in where the story kind of begins with the 64 Phillies and all that futility and how it, that wasn't the Buffalo game, it was the year before against the Bruins, but how it ended. Changed everything. Uh, at the Flyers, the Broad Street Bullies changed changed the whole city of Philadelphia, turned the whole city upside down in, in a good way. Um, yeah, you're right. After the 64 Phillies, there was, uh, um, it was really a rough time in this town. You know, we went through the whole Joe Kuharik thing. The, um, the Sixers win a championship, but then trade inexplicably trade Will Chamberlain. Uh, and by the by the beginning, by the turn of the decade, by the early 70s, all the teams are terrible. I mean, you had Steve Carlton, who was great in 72, but the team was awful. Uh, and it was bad. It was a bad time in Philadelphia. It was a bad time for sports. It was a bad time to be a sports fan, frankly. And then all of a sudden, this team comes along. And uh, and this group of players, all these young guys from, from these little towns that nobody had ever heard of, Flin Flon, Moose Jaw, <laughs> Smithers, uh, and they just came in and they took the city, they took they took the NHL and the city of Philadelphia by storm, and they win the Stanley Cup in '74, uh, and they have this parade that the city thought might draw a hundred thousand people, wound up drawing two million. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then they go back the next year and they win it again, uh, and it really changed the whole city. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, next thing you know, Dick Vermeil's Hired to coach the Eagles, the Sixers signed Julius Irving, um, the Phillies signed Pete Rose, and by the end of the decade, by the end of the decade, they were calling Philadelphia the city of winners, uh, and everything had changed. And um, really, uh, it really started. It really started with the Broad Street Bullies, and man, they were fun to watch and they were fun to cover. Yeah, and and the I, I saw um, might have been Joe San Liquido's story where you talked about your favorite guy to cover was Bobby Clark, which is interesting because Bob was never a good interview until he did tell us your story with us, in which he was a great interview. When he was was fabulous. By the way, have (laughs) we ever told on the air how that thing, what happened in that one? I never have, unless you have. Well, here's the moment. (laughs) Okay. So- uh, you go ahead. You no, tell no, it. no, you go ahead. So Ray and I record Tell Us Your Stories uh, early in the week. We had a couple early on when we were doing Tell Us Your Story where we would lose the guy on the phone. You'd just get a bad connection, and then what are you going to do? Or, or you'd get a little profanity. A little that, which was, by the way, always with hockey players. Common among hockey players, it seems. Love Chris Pronger, but we had to edit a lot. Yep. Okay. And uh, we decided, you know what, and or scheduling issues, right? Um, during the pandemic, it was easy to get anybody, but after the pandemic ended, and we keep doing "Tell Us Your Story," it's like, well, you want to talk to me Saturday at noon? I'm, I got other stuff to do Saturday at noon. So we said, all right, well, here's what we're going to do: we'll record them during the week, and usually we'd find a time that you're available, I'm available, the subject's available. So Bob Clark was somebody we really wanted to do, and he was uh, through Zach Hill, greatest PR guy in the history of the city. Bob Clark uh, made the time to do it, and we start to do it. Uh, Jack Fritz, our producer for that, always did a great job. 
So uh, Jack would set us up, and then Jack would go and prepare the the show he does the w- right. with Ike and John he's Mark. Got, he's got to go do his real job, right? Which is was to get ready for the Ike and John Mark show. Right. So he'd set us up, we'd roll, and he'd come back at the end and and do it, or sometimes check. So we're doing Bob Clark, and we're like thirty minutes into it, and all of a sudden Jack breaks into the interview, and he says, uh, "Guys." Uh, I got bad news. Three minutes in, somebody picked up this line and disconnected it, and you got nothing. Mm-hmm. And Ray, what did we think? Well, I was devastated because um, you're right. Bob Clark was a great player, but a notoriously tough interview. <laughs> he, Bob just didn't tell you very much. Uh, he was a he was a he was a great player, you know, fiercest competitor I've ever seen, and obviously. The linchpin of those two of those two Stanley Cup teams, great great player, uh, but not a good interview. Just and was he would answer. Yeah, I mean, not that he was unpleasant or unfriendly, but he was you know two or three word answers was about all you were going to get from him. So when you had the idea of why don't we do Bob Clark for Tell Us Your Story, I immediately recognized well he's one of the greatest athletes in the history of the city, but I. He's not a really good interview. Yeah, was, I interviewed him a lot when he was the GM, and it wasn't always. And he was worse. As a GM, he was worse. <laughs> right. So I thought, well, you know, okay, he's Bob Clark. So, But I'm telling you, I said, Glenn, this is going to be like pulling teeth. I just know it is. But amazingly enough, I guess maybe he's just reached this point in his life where uh, we started off just saying, tell us what it was like growing up in Flin Flon, Manitoba. Uh, and he just started talking. It's great. And he was tremendous. I mean, talking about watching his father go off to work in the mines every morning, what the life in Flin Flon was like. You know, how if you're a young man in Flin Flon, you have two choices. You can either play hockey or go work in the mines. Uh, And what he did over the course of that hour, 45 minutes or whatever it was, was he said all the things he had never, ever said before. Uh, And then I'm thinking the whole time he's saying this, I'm thinking, I can't believe this is gold. This, this is gold. This is stuff that he's never said to anybody, and he's saying it to us. This is the greatest interview Bob Clark's ever given. And then Jack comes in and says, "Um, yeah, we weren't recording. Oh, my God. So, okay, you pick up the story from here. So we say, Bob, we don't know what to do. Um, we certainly don't want to put you in a bad spot. If you have the time and inclination, we'd like to start again, thinking he's going to say, yeah, well, I don't know, guys. Right. And he says... Sure. Oh, yeah, he says, sure. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. And we start, we asked the same questions. <laughs> we went all the way back and, he, and we started, we t- went all the way back to Flin Flon and started all over again. And he was great again. And and bless his heart, I mean, he, he, was, he was really, really great. Yeah. And it turns out, and I have had so many people in a course of conversation saying, boy, we love Tell Us Your Story. And uh, I always ask the question, okay, what was your favorite? Uh, and you get all kinds of answers, but the Bob Clark one comes up all the time mm-hmm. because, again, Great player, obviously iconic figure in the city, but people had never heard him tell his story except till that day. Yeah, it was terrific. And we to really us, he told it, it twice. Yep. Uh, Mary Ellen in Plymouth Meeting. I, I know this story, so I'm looking forward to hearing it. Hi, Mary Ellen. Hello. How are you, Glenn? I'm great. Hello, Ramundo. <laughs> well, I know who this is. How are you doing, Mary Ellen? I'm good, Ray. I'm good. Um, I will miss these weekends Booney and I uh uh it's so much a part of our weekend oh well that's um, nice of you to say I am here on behalf of every kid you encouraged at the bulletin scholastic press conference (laughs) um you were very encouraging 
told me to do my homework and always be prepared because you never knew what could happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, two things. Uh, once when I was at the Courier Post, um, I was home with my dad in the Northeast in our, our two-by-four backyard planting tomatoes, um, elbow deep in mulch. I get a call from Bob Kenny, the sports editor. Barry Ashby is in the hospital and holding a press conference. Our Flyers guy can't make it. Can I go? Sure. So I do about 85 down 95, get there. Everybody else is gone. So I have basically a one-on-one with Barry Ashby. I come around back to the Courier Post. I do one of the jug handles. I said, boy, there's smoke. I wonder what's on fire. Came back to the office. Everybody's standing in the back saying, Garden State Racetrack's on fire. Okay. So I go. I put my cheesesteak down. Um, I come out. I go to Garden State Racetrack. Um, I contribute to the story. I write Barry Ashby at about one in the morning. And we win awards for the coverage. And I could do that because Ray Dinger always told me, told me to always do my homework and always be prepared because you will never know what happens. <laughs> In spring training, I'm at the Fresno Bay. And I'm standing, you're doing the, the Mike Schmidt thing. I'm standing next to you talking to Gene Mock. You're talking to Gene Mock. I'm kind of drifting along on the um, um, wisdom of it all. So I said to Mock, oh, well, you know, left, right hitters and every blah, blah, blah. And I grew up eight blocks from Connie Mack Stadium, watched, and we talked baseball. Gene Mock says, you know your baseball, young lady. So I called my mother long distance that night. <laughs> and I don't tell Mock I was sitting in the grand, third base grandstand when Chico Ruiz stole home. But again, it's your advice. I got a great feature out of it and a nice notes column because I was prepared because Ray Dinger told me. Wow. <laughs> well, you um, you did just fine. You did just fine, Mary Ellen. I mean, she, uh, she carved out a real career uh, starting at the Courier Post and then moving on. Um, and people... Uh, Mary, Ellen Dris- Mary Ellen Driscoll was her writing name, so people can kind of remember it. If you read the old Courier Post, you read Mary Ellen, and she was really good. It was, and, I, and she's right. I spoke at a, a student's journalism workshop, and I was barely, I, I was like 1969. I was only my first year at the Bullet, and I don't know why they assigned me to go speak. I mean, I didn't know much more than the kids did. Uh, but Mary Ellen was one of the young people in the audience, and also in the audience was none other than Pat Shiraki. Oh, yeah. Who later went on and became a local TV anchor. Uh, and so, you know, I imparted what little wisdom I had at that point, and apparently Mary Ellen was taking notes, and um, and she just she had a terrific career on her own. And she's a really dear, dear lady. Do you know enjoyed an, meeting her. Do you know and appreciate how many people you've influenced in, in the business? Because you have. Because I hear that from people about you. Mm-hmm. Um, you really have. You've been a real positive influence in this city on so many people going to the business. I mean, you know, you, you heard earlier from our former producer, Brett Holcomb, about how you encouraged him. Uh, all, of, all of the producers who got up yesterday um, and so many of the people um, who are young or started out young talk about what it meant early in their career to get encouragement from Ray Didinger. Uh, Tom Kelly, our producer yesterday, mm-hmm. talked about how, you know, um, that first of all, that we gave him the time to do the Tom Kelly rants. Right. We weren't really encouraging. I was just looking for two minutes of good programming <laughs> and knew I could get it. Just, you know, 
put the quarter in Tom and let it go. Tommy never disappointed. No, but how, you know, you encouraged him and you sought him out. And you, Ray, one of the things about you uh, that will always be your legacy, and it's a reason that it's so nice that WIP is doing the internship program in your honor, one of your legacies is that you weren't the guy who made it in the business and then kind of locked out the people behind or didn't care about the people behind. You made it. You had your contemporaries. You were at the top of the chart and the other people. You didn't just talk to the other people who were at the top there. You always, always made it part of what was important to you to talk to and encourage all of those people um, who were new to the business, who were struggling in the business. And I, I want to tell you, as somebody who's worked with you and watched you and seen you do that, that it's it's something that you can really hang your hat on. It's really, it speaks so well to you. Huh? We're getting to that point now in the show. It speaks so well to you that you have always done that here and in print. And, you know, this woman who said that you came to her high school thing or college thing, whatever it was, and, you know, and, and it just made it such an impression. Yeah, well, um, I remember how it was when I broke in. Uh, I remember how it was in uh, 1969 when I got hired by the Bulletin uh, and would occasionally have to be a sidebar guy at a Phillies game or go down and cover an Eagles practice when the beat guy was off. Uh, and, you know, you walk into the press box back then, it wasn't always a welcoming environment, Nope. you know, for a young guy. Nope. You know, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the old guys in there that have been there forever – uh, you're the young guy walking in, um, and it's not very welcoming. You know, it, it wasn't. And um, I just said, I'm not going to be that way. You know, if, if I'm going to stay in this business, I'm going to try and, you know, the young guys that are coming up, the young people that are coming up, I'm going to try and help them. You know, and, and I, I always did that. I, 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 remember, I remember Bus Sate, who was the, uh, the old baseball writer from the Trenton Times, First time I was assigned to a Phillies game as a sidebar guy, I, I went in there and just got a lot of dirty looks from the guys in the press box. You know, who are you? Oh, yeah, you're the new guy at the Bulletin. Uh, and Bus was the one guy that came over and put his hand out and introduced himself. And I knew who he was, but introduced himself and said, hey, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. Um, and that made, that made such an impression on me because it was so important at that time that, you know, I, I thought, you know, if I'm ever in that position – you know, I'm going to try and extend the hand, you know, and, and just how hard is it to just go up to a young guy and say, hey, you know, nice to have you. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And I know how good it made me feel and how much it helped kind of get me over the hump to, uh, to have that kind of acceptance. So later on, you know, when I'm 10, 20 years in and young guys are coming up, I tried to be the same thing. Ray, you paid it forward. You really did. And I know that this station is better for it. And I know that the news business is better for it. And as you move on into the next phase of your life, it's something that you should always be proud of, um, that you, your contribution to this industry was not just in the great work you did, but in the example that you set for everybody. I tried to. All right. <laughs> Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. really gonna miss you it's really gonna be different without you well we're now in the lifetime network part of the show Time christmas is gonna uh, be special hot. 
All right, cut that. Get get that out of here. Um, <laughs> all true. So, let's talk about what your plans are. Um, so many people say to me, "Oh, he's not really retiring, right? I mean, he'll be gone for a little bit. He'll come back." Or, "Hey, is he going to call in every week?" You know, I know, I know he's retiring, but maybe he can still do like Ray calls in every week. And and I tell them. No, that's that's not the plan. Um, you're you're you have earned after all this time of working, and I know you talk about how your family has earned the opportunity to spend time away from writing and broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my plan. Um, I, I guess it's a plan without a plan. That's maybe the best way of putting it. Uh, what did Paul Newman say? Sometimes uh, the best the, the in Cool Hand Luke, he said something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Sometimes the best hand is no hand. Yeah. It's uh, that's that's kind of where I am with this. I mean, I, I've uh, I've said a couple times that. Uh, and by the way, before I before I I, I get off of here uh, and totally forget, I want to thank some of the people who have written really nice things about me over the last couple weeks. Um, you know, our good friend Joe Sanilquito has written a couple of really good stories. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheila Capadia did a really beautiful story in the in the Athletic. I love the part of that story where he talks about what you meant to his immigrant father becoming a sports fan. I know. I thought that was really touching. It was really beautiful because you I, don't know the people that you touch. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about that until Sheila told me in the course of the interview, uh, which was really beautiful, and I thought he. Wrote a really great story, and I want to thank Shield for that. And also the piece, and some people may have seen it either in yesterday's Daily News or today's Inquirer, uh, which is a real big, a real big piece uh, done by Matt Breen uh, about about me and about our show. Uh, which I was, appreciate which, how he yeah. talked about tells your story, which, which which was really well done. And Andrew Porter did a really nice thing on the WIP website. So for all of those people that wrote really nice things about me over the last few weeks, I just wanted to say thank you, thank you for that. But as far as my plans. Um, I don't know. I mean, in a perfect world, I think I'm just going to Johnny Carson it. You know, I just think I'm just kind of going to, going to go away. I, I always thought that the way Carson did it was um, was the right way. I mean, he did the final show and he said goodbye, and then you didn't see him again. Um, and I thought, you know, that's I think that's kind of the way to do it, and that's kind of what I'm going to try and do. Um, I've already received, and my wife predicted this. Um, she's a lot smarter about this stuff than I am. Um, yeah, sometimes your self-awareness is a little Yeah, I mean, Maria said, you know, you're, go- you're, go- you're going to get all kinds of people are going to start writing you now, and they're going to want you to speak at this dinner and speak at this luncheon, and stuff's just going to come pouring in. Uh, and it is, it's starting. <laughs> I've gotten a whole bunch of those, you know, hey, we have this luncheon. Can you do this? Can you come speak at our dinner? Can you do this? Can you do that? Um, I, I hope people don't think less of me uh, for saying, you know what, no, I don't think so. Um, I'm kind of stepping away for a reason. I'm kind of stepping away because I think I need it. Uh, after 53 years, I do think I need the break. Uh, and, uh, and the other part of it is I do. I, do. I want to spend my ta- more time with my family. I, I want to. I they, have, they have made such tremendous sacrifices on my behalf, um, you know, working their schedules and their lives around my schedule and what I have to do, that for me to continue on doing what I'm doing seemed almost selfish. Uh, and so I just, I just said, you know what? No, enough. It's time. So, and, I'm, and now I'm, you know, I'm going to do things. 
that they need to be done. And I want to, I really, you know, this September, look, I'll be following the Eagles, but, you know, I'm going to be up at Gwynedd Mercy watching my, watching my granddaughter play field hockey. I mean, that, she's a senior. She's co-captain of the team. This is her last year. I want to be there. And so all, for all of those reasons, I think, you know, if anybody that thinks that I'm, you know, I'm going, still going to be doing this and doing that, probably not. I think you're probably going to see and hear very little of me. So I, I uh, met your four grandkids yesterday. I, I, I'd met the granddaughters before at that amazing induction into the Maxwell Club Hall of Fame uh, in Atlantic City, whatever, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd met your granddaughters before, but I met your two grandsons and, and you know saw your granddaughters. First of all, what I want to say is I saw how they look at you with total love and admiration. I mean, you're the hero of that family, uh, which was just, I mean, I could see that. I, I see them looking at you. Um, and I also just loved how they are looking forward to spending more time. Are you, what are you, I'm Pops. What are you called? I'm Pop Ray. Pop Ray. Okay. How they're looking forward to spending time with Pop Ray. Um, the, the two little boys talking about playing Madden football with you, which mm-hmm. again, that's the one I need the video of <laughs> because I actually think you'll become very good at it because it's a smart game and it's really football and you'll get it. Um, maybe never as good as them because they're young, but you'll get it. Uh, and I just think that'll be such a way to connect. <laughs> football will still be a part of you, but it'll be different. Sure. Uh, you'll be able to just kind of enjoy it sure. as opposed to working it. And I think that could could actually be a fun thing. Uh, and watching the girls play field hockey and just connecting with, you know, they're teenage girls and they'll probably enjoy you a lot more than they enjoy their parents because, because you're not their parents. Well, I, I know this. Um, I know this from my own experience of being with my son when he was playing hockey when I would go to his games. Um, I, I just stand off in the corner yeah. and just fold my arms and I watch. I don't say, I, I don't say boo. No, no, we had a rule in my family. My son said, you can come to my son, wrestled, and he played hockey, and he, and he was a pole vaulter. Uh, and he said to me, you can come, but I don't want to hear you from the stands. Exactly. If, I, if I hear you, then that, that's no good. Exactly. And I got that. I got exactly. that. So that's the, way I was with, that's the way I was with David playing hockey, and that's the way I'm going to be watching Haley play field hockey. I mean, I, I just know that. They, they don't need— Well, good news is they you don't, don't, they don't, need you don't pop- understand the rules of field I hockey. I don't understand so, the rules. So what are you going to contribute? Which, which, which helps a it's lot. It's like when I watched him pole vault. Like, what the hell am I going to say? <laughs> Run faster, jump higher? <laughs> no. What, no, what am no, I going to no. say? No, no, no. But it, it's funny. My, my two grandsons are coming to an age where they're becoming uh, football savvy. I mean, and this is really kind of an epiphany. This is kind of in the last year— that the two of them have kind of gotten into football. And um, they're becoming a little bit like the young me, <laughs> and, which, is, which, is very fu- which is very funny to see. Uh, I mean, yesterday, um, George, who's the youngest, who's nine, is, is sitting next to me, and he said, um, Pop Ray. I said, yeah, yeah, George. He said, what do you think of Mitchell Trubisky? Said, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? And he said, you know, I, I think this is good for him. You know, the Bears, it didn't work out for him with the Bears. But I think, you know, Pittsburgh needs a quarterback. You know, and I think he's going to, I think he's going to play good in Pittsburgh this year. And I'm, th- I'm looking at him, I'm blinking and thinking, where did this come from? Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm kind of looking at him and thinking, oh, my God, he's just like I was, you know. And I don't know if he's going to follow in exactly the same path. 
but it, it is kind of funny that as I'm stepping away, he seems to be stepping in. Well, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Uh, and I know you're looking forward to spending more time with Kathleen, your daughter, and, and her husband. And the story that I think surprised us all until you really think about it is when your son David said yesterday that as huge of a football guy as you are, and as he is, he is a guy who makes his living shooting football, that the two of you had not had the opportunity to just sit down together uh, in, you know, your den, his den, and or the seats, and watch a game since Super Bowl, what was that? Super one? Bowl 30. Okay, so that's th- 25 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. And never an Eagles game. Yeah. We have, we have, we, David and I have never watched an Eagles game together. So, I mean, that's going to happen this year, and I'm looking forward to that. And when you say never, you're going back to when he was a kid because you were working. I was there. You yeah. know, I was there. I mean, he was watching the games on TV at home, but I was at the game. Um, so we've never had the occasion to actually do what 98% of the population is, which is sit down as a family and watch the Eagles. We've never had that. I mean, everybody is so funny. Everybody associates me with the Eagles, you know, that the – it's almost like I'm. It's almost like uh, I'm. I'm attached to them somehow, uh, and and I would say no. I've you know I've never watched a game with my son. I mean, I'm, when they're playing, I'm there. He's not. Or if, we, if the occasion presents itself as it did at Super Bowl Fifty Two, when we're both at the game, you know, okay, I'm in the box doing what I do, and he's upstairs with the camera shooting. But we never had the occasion to just sit like father and son and watch the game together. But We've talked about doing that this year, and I know we're both looking forward to that. At home or in the ballpark? I don't know how much. I don't know how much I'm going to go down to the stadium. I think probably yeah. very little. Yeah. Maybe a game or two. Um, but um, you know, I, I definitely look forward to either going over to his house or him coming over to mine, and the two of us just sitting on the couch and just watching the game like two guys. Um. I don't want this to be uh, in any way funereal or like an obituary, but uh, after 53 years in the business, um, how do you want people to remember you? I've been asked that a couple times. Yeah, I'm um, sorry. I, um, uh, as, as a guy who was honest, as a guy who was, who was honest and uh, respected the fans – uh, respected the fans and was uh, was honest in his reporting. That's that's how I like to be remembered. I, I think that you know we had a caller earlier in the show that said you know I, I didn't necessarily agree with everything you said, which is fine. Um, but I I want people I, I really would like people to feel like everything I said came from an honest place. You know don't have to, don't have to agree with everything I say. You probably shouldn't. We all have different opinions, but respect the fact that my opinion is an honest opinion. I'm not saying things to be sensational. I'm not saying things to stir the pot. I'm not saying things to call attention to myself. God, for, you know, that's the last thing I want. If I opened my mouth and I said something, it was because it was, I believed it. So I would hope that they would remember me as an honest guy uh, who, more than anything else, respected the fans and felt like these are smart fans. These are knowledgeable fans. They want to be treated with respect. They want to be spoken to honestly. And for 53 years, I tried to be that guy. What are you going to miss? This. Yeah, this. Well. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss the press box. I'm, you know, when, when you and I, when we did our 108, <laughs> our 108 Tell Us Your Story interviews, um, we always ask that question because they're all former 
players. Yep. And you say, well, yeah, what did you miss you know, when you retired? And what's the thing they always say? Oh, I miss the locker room. Yeah. I miss the locker room. I, I miss, miss the guys. guys. I miss yeah. the guys. I miss the locker room. I miss the camaraderie. You know, I, I, I miss the, the goofing around after practice. And, and <clears throat> that, that made so much sense to me. Uh, and that's, you know, right now at this point, that's what I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss what the locker room was to the players, the press box was to us. You know, that was our locker room. So that whole press box dynamic, the pregame just sitting around talking, teasing each other, busting each other's chops. I mean, all that kind of give and take, um, you know, I mean, it's sort of it's sort of frat boy stuff in a lot of ways. But it was so enjoyable and it was well, such a big part of it was such a big part of our lives that, you know, that whole thing is is something I'm really going to miss. My relationships with the other writers, my relationships with the people here at WIP, and in particular the relationship with you. I mean, we, we didn't know each other very well when they put us together. I mean, I knew who you were, you knew who I was, but we didn't have a relationship to speak of. Um, but I'd say after 21 years we have one, and it's one that was has really been good and has really been a lot of fun. Yeah, Seth Cho- uh, Joyner talked yesterday about how much fun he has watching those Eagles games with you before you do the post-game show. Right. And that's the fun. And that's, you know, you and me driving. I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk in the next segment about kind of my closeout here, but I'll just say now, the dry, when you lived, um, before you moved downtown, uh, we used to drive together down to Delaware Park because you, you didn't particularly like to drive and you didn't particularly like to drive on a highway. And by the way, the few times you did drive, my God, you're the slowest driver in the world. Yeah. You, try try you, riding with Bill Ordeen sometime. Is that right? Yeah, Slower yeah. than you? Yeah, That's not yeah. possible. I, I look like Dale Earnhardt compared to <laughs> Bill Ordeen. You're going 40 <laughs> on 95. It's like... Anyway, but... Those drives we had down there, mm-hmm. right? Because it was a long drive, and coming home would get stuck in that traffic down in the Christiana Mall area, right, right? Right, right. But I never worried about how much time it was going to take because it was an hour in the car with you, and we would just talk about stuff. Yep. I mean, we would talk about the show and how we're setting up the show, but we'd talk about our families, and we'd gossip about the business, and we'd just, you know, hopes and dreams and stuff, and that was always such a great time. And so, yes, I mean, I'm not retiring. You are. By the way, I hope to have an announcement or more than one announcement about the future direction of this show in the next week or two. Mm -hmm. This this is not the time to be doing that. Um, But, yeah, that that was always a blast. It was a blast. Do you have any... um, I don't want to say any regrets. That's the wrong way to phrase it. Anything that you, because I heard it, somebody said, it was maybe in one of those stories, those three stories, that you are probably the only person who covered and or was at the Flyers Stanley Cup, the Eagles Super Bowl, and the Phillies 1980 Championship. Right, I and, mean, and the Sixers, and the Sixers, mm-hmm. right? The Sixers, the the fo 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 year. Okay, I mean, I don't know that anybody else did all that, and you did all that, and you, you know, you got to travel the world, and you went to Olympics, and you interviewed amazing personalities, and you've had a brilliant career. Um, is there anything you didn't get to do that you thought, wow, I would have liked to have done that? Nope. Well, that's a pretty good way to leave it, isn't it? Nope, and I've. I've I got asked that a couple of weeks ago. Somebody asked, you know, and is there anything you wish you could have done? And the only thing, the, the only, and this is a mild regret. If, 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 
I don't know sure regret is the right word, but okay. Uh, God, I would have loved to have been at Lake Placid. I would have. And you were supposed to be. And I was be. supposed God, to. I, we, listen, I, I love Rob Ellis. Rob may have to wait a minute or two uh, before we get to him, but tell that story. Because it's, it's, when we had Michael Ruzioni as a Ruzioni, excuse me, as they tell us your story, this, this was revealed. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was at the Philadelphia Bulletin then, and I was, I was the sole sports columnist. You look at the other papers now, they've got multiple columnists. I was the sole sports columnist for the Philadelphia Bulletin in 1980. So they said, okay, we're, we are only getting one press credential for the Lake Placid Winter Olympics, and you're going. Fine. I'm fine with that because I had done all the previews, all the advances, all the features on all the all the U.S. athletes that were going there. So I'm doing the Mare Brothers. I'm doing the skiers. I'm doing the figure skaters. Uh, and I traveled with the hockey team. And um, so Eric Hyden year? Uh, that was the Eric Hyden year. Yeah. That was the year that Eric, they, everybody was saying Eric Hyden yeah. was going to win five gold medals, which he did, by the way. So, I mean, this was and, – and his sister, Beth Hyden. I mean, they were on the cover of Time magazine. So – and I had never been to an Olympics, and I thought this was great. I, I'm looking forward to this. And like two weeks before I'm supposed to leave for Lake Placid, I got so sick. I mean, I got, I got the flu like you wouldn't believe. Like, like go to the hospital flu. You got I mean, COVID I was, before it existed. I was, the, I was in bad shape. I mean, I'm talking like 103, 104 fever. Uh, and uh, I had all the credentials. I had all the media guides. I was all set to go. And I still wanted to go. I mean, as sick as I was, I still want. And the doctor said, you cannot go. You know, I mean, you can't go. You're, you're going to go up to Lake Placid and you're, and where, it's, where it's 20 degrees. And, you know, no, you'll be in the hospital up there. So I had to call the boss and say, I can't go. The, doc, the doctor basically would not let me go. And so I had to hand off all of my stuff to uh, one of the other people at the Bulletin. Interestingly enough, he, he went around the whole sports department, and nobody would go. Really? Yeah. He went, uh, J- Jack Wilson was a sports editor, and he went to the other guys in the sports department. He said, didn't you sick? He can't go. I need somebody to go to Lake Placid. And they all said, not me. Why does nobody want to go? Well, because word was already coming down about how messed up things were. There were there were no rooms up there. The, oh, tra- okay. the transportation, yeah. the See, buses. I, I don't all, remember. It was any all of that. breaking. It was a it was a mess. I just remember it being a great Olympics. It was a great Olympics, but the run up to it okay. was it looked like it looked like the, 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 it was going to be a mess. So nobody wanted to go, especially on short notice. So they actually he literally posted a note on the bulletin board at the bulletin and said, anybody want to cover the Winter Olympics? And one guy in the features department, a guy named Drew Strunk, good writer, who also was a bit of a skier, uh, said, yeah, I'll go. So Drew Strunk came to my house, picked up all my credentials, all my media guides. Oh, that must have been so tough for you, handing all that off. Well, that hurt me anyway. But then, of course, I'm sitting on the couch watching the Olympics play out, and I'm sitting there watching them beat the Soviets, and I'm watching them win the gold medal, and I'm thinking, why couldn't I be there? Because that would have been really, really a great moment, and I was supposed to go, but I couldn't go. So in terms of regret, that's probably it, because I think it would have been a blast to be up there, and I've talked to all the guys that were up there, how great it was, and you know, I should have been there, but I wasn't. One other thing I just want to discuss before we get to our final segment, which is going to be the wrap-up. I'm going to wrap up. You're going to wrap up. Um, and your career has, has been brilliant as a writer and as a columnist, as a football guy. Uh, your career was great over at NBC Sports Philadelphia, and be- before that you were doing TV as a TV guy, but you were an original guy here at WIP, and um, I'd just like you to reflect kind of on what you helped build here. Well, what we helped build here, I mean, all of us, um, 
I know when they first launched uh, WIP, uh, WFAN was up and running in New York, this idea of an all-sports station. They had success with it in New York, and they got the idea of doing it here in Philadelphia. And Tommy Brookshire is the guy that approached me, and I knew Tommy really well from football. And he said, hey, listen, we're getting ready to, you know, Ed Snyder and I and some partners, we're getting ready to buy WIP, and we're going to create an all-sports station. We'd like you to be a part of it. And I remember saying, to him, well, Tommy, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it. Um, but, you know, I don't think this is really going to work. And uh, what do you mean? I said, well, Tom, I, you, know, I, you know, I think it's one of these things. It's, you know, two, three years, and it'll just burn itself out. And he said, well, you know, maybe it will. But for now, we're going we're gonna to do this. We'd like you to be part of it. So I came over, as you did, as Angelo did, as Al did, Mike Missanelli. I mean, all these guys, a lot of us, they, they drew a lot of us from newspapers. Yep. Because we were... A, that was we, it. We knew how to tell stories. Yeah, and they, they had to find guys that could go on the air and talk sports. And so they, they raided the newspapers and brought a bunch of guys over. So the only guys... And by of, the way, and let me just say Steve Fredericks, Jody McDonald, yes. who were radio guys, part yes. of that first generation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they were. And Howard. So, um, and, so, but from the Daily News, they really only brought two guys. They brought Stan Hockman and they brought me. <laughs> and, um, you know, we came in here. None of us really knew what we were doing. But we just turned the microphone on and had fun. And... Lo and behold, and, and you know, I'm, you know, shame on me because I should have known better. I mean, I should have known that sports talk radio, if it was ever going to succeed anywhere in this country, it would succeed in Philadelphia because this is the best sports town in America. And WIP was the perfect vehicle. And you and I were just lucky enough to, to, to jump on board right at the start. To be around at the right time. Yep. Yeah, we were. Um, and um, as I said, because I, I, I want to preface it, I'm not leaving, but. Uh, like you, I'm just really proud that the station has become part of the fabric of town. Um, when I when I started, I thought like, eh, if I get five years out of this, that'll be good, mm-hmm. right? That, that that's kind of my break even point. Yeah, because when that, I went full time, yeah, right? that's You've about, that's about what I thought. That's yeah. about what I thought the shelf life would be. Yeah. Um, but all these years later, WIP is a very important part of Philadelphia, of the sports scene, of the city. Of everything. And you, Ray, I mean, I just want to say, you help build that. You help build something that is, you're going to be leaving, but it's going to sustain. And uh, you should be very proud of that. Yeah. Well, what was it that Robert Frost said? The one thing I know about life is three words. It goes on. And and WIP will. Okay. You and I got one more segment. Partner, you okay? You good? So far, so good. Okay. We're going to do that coming up. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack. Now, one last time. On 94 WIP. You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one. But I know that you've got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you will hurt you somehow. Well, Ray, I thought it was appropriate to uh, close with what I believe is your favorite song. My favorite song. My yeah. favorite song. Linda Ronstadt's rendition of uh, Desperado. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah, was, I mean, the Eagles wrote it. Um, not There are Eagles, but those right. those Eagles wrote it. <laughs> not Nick Foles? Uh, no. No, they have, a, they have a nice version of it, but Linda Ronstadt will own it forever. She certainly will. All right, let's just take care of a little business before we get to... 
Uh, before we get to the close, Dan Wilson has done a great job of producing. By the way, Rob Ellis will be up next. And, Dan, we uh, have our Scheib Sports Best Caller of the Week, $50 gift card to Scheib Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Visit their downtown location or at ShibeSports.com. Danny, who's our best caller of the day? Yeah, we had a lot of good calls, good tributes, and farewells to Ray, but our best caller is Mary Ellen from Plymouth Meeting, who uh, told a pretty cool story about uh, how Ray inspired her many years ago. So nice. It goes to Mary Ellen. Very yeah. nice. That was, a, that was a great one. I'm glad you picked her. All right, Ray. Uh, this one's from the heart. Uh, we have been through a lot together over the years. Five program directors, three station addresses, uh, about a dozen businesses where we did remote shows, Mm -hmm. some we like better than others, a whole lot of producers, and we appreciate those guys. We wrote a book together. We've been on TV together. We did a lot of signings and station functions. Uh, Most recently, I got to enjoy being with your family at your induction into the Maxwell Club Hall of Fame. Uh, and as I've said, we have done about 2,500 shows, pregames, weekday fillers, these weekend shows, everything together. And in all that time, I don't think we ever got into a fight. Never. On the air or off the air. No serious argument. No major disagreement. No cursing at each other. We didn't always see everything alike or eye to eye, but we could always talk. We could always communicate, and we always had fun. Um, There was never any tension. It would seem impossible to work with somebody for two decades and to be able to say that all of it was fun and that the guy... (laughs) Jeez, I don't want to do this. And that the guy you worked with was never a jackass. And I can say that Ray... You have never been a jackass in 21 years, and I appreciate that. Uh, working with you is working with a Hall of Famer, uh, and we heard yesterday how respected you are for your balance and your brilliance and your moral bearing. Uh, I think we had two dozen people all really respected in this town come to the station Uh, or call to offer testimony to the contribution that you have made over a half century. And I've always admired that. But more than that, more than that, I've just always liked you as a guy. Uh, uh, As a friend. Listen, I, I am as awed by your resume as anybody, but... I most appreciate you just for being able to jaw with you as a friend, to laugh, to make stupid bets. I appreciate I appreciate that you let me tease you about not wearing shorts um, or about never having a drink. Uh, I, or, or you let me tease you about basically not being part of the 21st century world for the most part. Your greatness never precluded you from laughing at yourself a little bit. Uh, Ray, you are you are actually human, and the human side, a little self-deprecating, uh, open, um, creative, um, sometimes capable of a dirty joke uh, off the air. Uh, I love that, Ray. Uh, 
I love the way you treat people. We discuss that even when I have to pull you away from your fans when we have to start a damn show, Ray. Uh, I love the way it takes you five minutes to sign with that Catholic school train signature, even though at our book signings you tended to slow the line down to a standstill just so that you could perfectly dot that I in Didinger. Actually, I, I love the fact that I learned to pronounce Didinger later after we were working together. Uh, I love the stacks of papers and the newspaper clippings and, yes, the yellow legal pads that could all be reduced to one handheld electric device. That was just never going to happen. I love the show we created over these decades. I'm sticking around. I've been working with management on some ideas for the show. I expect, as I said, we'll have a few announcements within a week or two. Uh, And I'm looking forward to that. But this show has been special in my career. And, you know, radio isn't like other media. Um, Books last for hundreds of years. I can go back and I can watch uh, any movie ever made. And by the way, you could too if you'd learn to stream, but that's another story. TV reruns keep those shows and those characters immortal. But but radio, I know WIP podcasts the shows, uh, and you can find our Tell Us Your Story episodes if you search hard enough. But mostly radio is something that you say into a microphone, and it goes out onto the airwaves, and then it disappears. It's forgotten. But for me, this show, working all these years with you, I will never forget, and it will never disappear. Ray, it has been my my pleasure. Always enjoy the next step of the journey, my friend. Well, (laughs) um, thank you for that. Um, Everything that you said um, certainly applies to me uh, and our relationship uh, and the pride that I feel, uh, along with you, uh, for what we built here, because uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was pretty damn good radio, and uh, the fact that we were able to create it and sustain it for 21 years is uh, is something I'm really proud of. Uh, but most of all, uh, I love the relationship that you and I have developed, and uh, that will that will continue on, even though we won't be doing shows together and. Uh, but the best part is when you and I are together next time, we won't have to take commercial breaks. We won't have to, uh, <laughs> we won't necessarily have to talk about the Phillies unless we really want to. Um, we can, we can have con- the conversations that we really want to have. And I, and I look forward to that. Uh, but I can't thank you enough for, um, the friendship and the support that you've given me for these last 20 years. And it has been a real, real pleasure. Um, this is, uh, I've written up, I kind of wanted to make sure I, I said, what I wanted to say on the way out the door, um, I didn't want to be five steps out the front door and then smack myself on the head and say, why didn't I say that? So I sat down and I wrote, wrote this up. Um, and fittingly, <laughs> I wrote it up on a yellow legal tablet. Uh, so um, these are my final thoughts. Hopefully I'll be able to get through them. So bear with me. I still remember the day Sister Claire read my essay to her fifth grade class. When she finished reading, she looked up and she said, Mr. Diddinger, you should be a writer. 
Well, I took Sister Claire's advice. I started writing. Through high school, through college, and through 53 years of newspaper columns, books, films, and now the stage play, Tommy and Me. I've written thousands upon thousands of words, but never the word goodbye. Not until today. This is my final show on WIP. I'm retiring. I'm also retiring from NBC Sports Philadelphia. I'll miss it. I'll miss all of it. But I feel it's time for me to step aside. Many of you have reached out to say how much you'll miss me. Well, I'm going to miss you too. We had a special relationship. We formed an emotional connection that was deep and genuine. We shivered together at Franklin Field. We wept together at Connie Mack Stadium. We stood shoulder to shoulder on Broad Street when the Flyers won the Stanley Cup. And, of course, we celebrated the underdog triumph that was Super Bowl 52. You felt it. I felt it. As Philadelphians, we all felt it. And celebrating that day at the Art Museum, wrapped in a warming blanket of joy, is a memory I will carry with me forever. I worked with many great people, men I grew up reading, like Stan Hockman, Larry Merchant, and Sandy Grady. Men like Bill Campbell, Tom Brookshire, and Jack McKinney, whose voices I grew up listening to on my transistor radio. I spent a decade working for the great Steve Sable at NFL Films. I got to hear Oscar-winning actors like James Coburn and Gene Hackman give voice to my words. I never imagined I could be that lucky, but I was, and that's why it's hard now to walk away. At 75, it's time for family, time for, time for travel, and time for being a fan again. I look forward to going to Eagles games now and cheering instead of critiquing. I'll miss hanging out with Michael Barkan, Seth Joyner, Barrett Brooks, and, of course, Governor Rendell. Great friends and great teammates. But this September, I'll go back to being the fan I used to be, and I look forward to that. One of the hardest parts of retiring is ending my partnership with this guy, my pal, Glenn Macknell. Over 21 years, we developed a rapport that was enjoyable for us and our listeners. We were the two old sports junkies who came in your house every weekend, put our feet up on the furniture, and talked about the DH, the process, and all things Eagles. (laughs) We were talking to each other, but we were also talking to you. I didn't fully appreciate what that meant until the last two weeks when the cards and letters began pouring in. Many were from people I had never met, total strangers. Yet they said, through my words and my voice, I became a part of their lives in ways I never imagined. Recently, a man stopped me on the street. He said he was born in Nigeria and he moved to this country three years ago. He was building a new life in Philadelphia and he wanted to feel like he belonged. A co-worker told him it would be, help, it would be helpful if he learned American football. The co-worker told him he should listen to this radio show and watch the Eagles post game. The co-worker told him that listening to Ray Didinger was the best way to learn the game. So the gentleman from Nigeria began listening and watching, and after three years he was talking X's and O's like a third-generation season ticket holder. When I met him, he was wearing an Eagles hoodie. He addressed me as Ray Diddy, and he gave me a big hug. He said, you taught me football. 
and you help me become an American. Without even realizing it, I had helped this man find acceptance in his new home. I never imagined I could affect someone's life in such a profound way, but I did. I still get a lump in my throat when I think about that. Your cards and letters have made me realize what a special family we built here and how lucky I was to be a part of it. I'm leaving WIP, but I'm not leaving Philadelphia. This is my home. It will always be my home. So if you see an old guy in a St. James sweatshirt walking a bulldog through Rittenhouse Square, and you feel like talking about Jalen Hurts or Joel Embiid, don't be shy. Come over and say hello. I'll never tire of the conversation. In fact, I'll welcome it. In so many of your good wishes, you've thanked me for what I've given you. What I'll remember is what you've given me. For 53 years, you helped me live my dream. Your passion as the best sports city in America lifted my words and gave them resonance. It has been a joy and a privilege. Your expressions of gratitude and support have meant so much, and I thank you with all of my heart. I wish you and your families health, happiness, and more Super Bowl parades. <laughs> and trust me, I will see you there. Ray, uh, for everyone at WIP, for every listener, for every fan, thank you. And be well, Ray Dinger. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and ATT at tmobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 